Hello everyone, I'm Thomas from Daft Punk. Random access memories, Daft Punk. Daft Punk, Thomas and Guy from Daft Punk. There you go, Daft Punk. We assume that's Daft Punk under those helmets. Hello everyone, I'm Guy Manuel from Daft Punk. Daft Punk mixes of Daft Punk. Daft Punk! Let's get back to the to Daft Punk. It was because of, you know, Daft Punk. Daft Punk. Daft Punk! Daft Punk! Welcome, robots, big and small, from around the world. It's time to get lucky and maybe just de-relax a little bit. Because <laughs> it's the Tron Legacy episode on a live 2021 yeah. Adapt Punk podcast. It is the Tron Legacy episode. Yeah. It's never been Troner up in here. No, it has not been Troner. You can tell by that tight joke writing at the top. <laughs> that tight wordplay. Tight wordplay. Wordplay is as tight as the Tron Legacy script. Yep. Here we are, <laughs> folks, on the outside of our Live 2007 episodes talking about soundtracks. Yeah, you got to. You got to. Somebody's got to do it. must talk about every soundtrack we, to every movie. Yeah, we... we 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 did this to ourselves. We did. We asked. But no, this. I I uh I had so much fun researching this episode because uh I I thought I knew a lot about this part of their career. Turns out uh I learned a lot this this week about what they uh how they put this together and and how it happened and um the work that went into it and I had a ton of fun uh learning some interesting cool new things about my favorite band. I'm very excited to to hear some of these new things. I uh for one revisiting this movie uh is something we 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 all, we all mentioned it. Revisiting this movie is something I'm glad that we did yeah. because uh yeah. I did not enjoy this film when it came out. I really enjoyed this film now. Uh, part of it might be maturity and patience. I don't know. Respect <laughs> yeah. for the soundtrack. Active watching. Who yeah. knows? Part, I, you might just be horny for digital faces. Horny for digital <laughs> DH Jeff Bridges. Yeah. I loved this when it came out. And then a little bit after the movie was out for a while, I was kind of like, it was one of those things where I, I thought back on it. And then I saw it when it came out on DVD. And I was like, oh, maybe this isn't as much fun as I remember. Right. And now well, going back to it, it's it's very different this many years. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we got we got thoughts on the movie and the music, and we'll get to them. Uh, but uh, I'm Andy. I'm Darren. I'm Devin Jetski. And we're three best friends who can't stop talking about the two French's robots in the world. We've tried. We've tried. We've tried to stop talking. And my wife my wife begs me to stop. She be- I, she, I've heard her. She begs she even, me. She sent me a private message. I'm not supposed to tell you. She said, can make, make him stop talking I'm, about she, it. I'm, I'm honor bound yeah. um, by the... The Daft Punk worldwide fandom I got, to keep uh, talking about these guys. I got chased out of Louisiana because I couldn't stop talking <laughs> to him. I bought um, my. I have a friend who's a graffiti artist. Yes, and he started selling. Um, uh, he he makes like character cans. Mm-hmm. Like, so he'll take his spent spray paint cans from his graffiti. Best character time. cans got to be Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we can cut that if we know we will. Let's stay it in. Let's stay it in, baby. I got, I got ultimate editing control. That's staying that's in. That's that's going in there double. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna loop that. Yeah. It's gonna be in a loop track behind the rest of it. <laughs> I'll dance to that. Uh, it's going in double. As many, as many cans as Jessica Rabbit has. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, can you imagine? Can you believe? in the remake of Roger Rabbit, they're getting rid of Jessica Rabbit's can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, um, and my friend, 
he he like paints uh, pop culture characters mm-hmm. on his spent spray paint cans from yeah. graffitiing, and I said these are great. If you were to make two Daft Punk ones, I would purchase both of them. And I did. He made me. Uh, he made me a Tomas one and a Gimon one, and they, he put the logo on the back of them. They're incredible. And I put them in my kitchen when I brought them home. And the first thing my wife said when she got home was, uh, "Wow, those are cool. They're going up in the vibe den, right?" <laughs> <laughs> Just like without a, without missing a beat. You should have him make you a. If he's got like a little small accent, can make make him make the technological oh, yeah. robot. Like yeah. little, if there's time, if, if he a, ever has a small little like, I think of like like a travel size hairspray or something mm-hmm. like that. We need one of those. That's a little technologic robot. Yes, Absolutely. we need that. We, yes, need, we need it. That. If we, I can't live my life happily yeah, I if I don't have it. I'm actually mad that I don't have it. I'm yet. surprised we're, we're not making wake it. Wake up right every now. day, not only. <laughs> Most of the rooms I spend the most time in have a Daft Punk flag in them yeah. at this point in my life. So yeah, that's true. It is true. Um, I'm surrounded by this stuff <laughs> by choice. By choice, I can't get away from it at this point. And who wants? To? Sometimes I can't escape. This. Sometimes you get in, uh, to a point in where life where you can't escape the things you love. <laughs> yeah, none of us can escape our choices. And I love yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, we got some amazing. Uh, feedback from our fans again this week. Yeah, we got Michael, who wanted to weigh in after our live 2007 episodes, yep. which I figured would happen because that's a huge point. Yeah, for people, I was super excited not only to research that, but then to record and talk about them with my best friends, and then to put them on the world because I knew people love those that album. They have to. Um, Michael. <laughs> they have to love it. They don't have a choice. They got to. Michael took a trip uh, uh, to, as a child, took a trip to Six Flags with his parents yeah. when he was a kid. And they uh, there was like a m- machinery shop there that made like jewelry and belt buckles and like Western wear and stuff in the park. And they were like looking through these like 3D models that the guy built at, in the little shop. And there were two robot hel- the helmets sitting in there <laughs> in the store. The guy running the shop where he, like, took a little break from making belt buckles and made two robot helmets. And this kid, Michael, as a child, was like, I want those robot helmets. <laughs> uh, and they were in the display. Uh, the, his mom, after um, his, uh, I was pretty excitable kid at this point, and after some resistance, my mom was somehow able to convince this guy to sell them to that us. <laughs> I still have them today. Uh, and they've been uh, back on my desk since epilogue in February. He attached some photos. They're just like these little, like little three D oh, printed. Those ro- are so yeah. cool. They look like that's awesome. They o- they almost look like um, like um, a s- soap like special yeah. soaps that like yeah. old people keep in their bathroom. They you look awesome. Fi- you should do a soap carving. Ah, uh, yeah. With one of the helmets. Andy. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to learn how to carve soap. But all I know how to do with it right now, wash my hands. I'm working on that part. <laughs> you could, if um, it was that defunct remover. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. There you go. Those defunct remover. Those would sell. Um, he says he loves his little uh, 3D printed helmets more than he could say. It started a lifelong love of these guys. Um, he he wants us to know that he wholeheartedly disagrees that the recent pro shot footage fails to capture the energy of the really? show. Yeah. But he's a younger guy, so he never got a chance. He said, yeah. well, I could get on board with. This they had um uh they had 
uh, camera phone technology, da, 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 um, all those audience videos didn't look uh, absolute. Uh, so yeah, he was like, you know, all that stuff. It's hard, and the the audio quality on was bad. He's super excited. They, I never. He says I never got to experience the live shows since I was eight at the time, and for years I'd been hoping and praying for professional footage. He's still he was still secretly hoping a live 2017 happened, but he's happy with. Yeah. So I so we we revisit a live. We revisit the footage a lot as a group. Uh, And I think that what we figured out, Michael, right, Michael? Yeah. Michael, what we figured out that I think is too much for me, too many crowd shots for me. The best way to do it and to try to capture is to play the album over the Lollapalooza footage. Yeah. Um, that's that what we've landed on because the Lollapalooza footage is the coolest footage, but the audio is not great. Right. Um, and the the album, if you sync it right and you have gapless playback turned on, it's almost identical. Um, it'll, it'll lose sync a little bit here and there, but not yeah. enough that you'll you'll really leave. So anybody who's who is wondering how the Alive 2021 uh, boys watch Alive 2007, project it as big as possible album audio over Lollapalooza video. Yeah, we really we really synthesized the way to to uh, scramble up our brains when to this When you care stuff. this much about something, you got to do it, right? So, what, other, what other album have you listened to with other people this many times? None. There are no other records that I mean, I've gotten together with a group of friends and listened to front to back this The closest thing I maybe, think we have honestly, is honestly maybe the closest is Chiodo's album in high school with my high school friends. That yeah, honestly, well, shout I, out Jacob Amarito. Him and I really. <laughs> yeah. I think definitely though, definitely the closest thing we have to that. I, I, we've done Simeon live a couple times. Yeah, we'll just go live a few times. But again, it's not sync. It's not. It's we, listened to. We it's typically not sync video and we or whatever. honestly we typically uh, do not make it all the way through that album when we listen to it together. No, we don't. But that's know? always because it's what we put on after yeah. we already listen to live. Yeah, Michael also wants to. Shout out Skrillex. (laughs) He says, I sense some not so great reactions uh, when he came up in the most recent episode. Uh, That was his next step uh, after he got into Daft Punk. His next electronic step was Skrillex. So he just wanted to give him some props. I think that like. Let me say, uh, even though I I was getting into music um, and going to see a lot of music as Sonny Moore was doing from first to last (coughs) and then starting to do Skrillex. And I saw him do all these intermediary things. Even though I'm not incredibly interested in those years of dubstep, I I find his music very compelling. Like yeah. the yeah. Where Are You Now stuff with Jack U, the new stuff with Forte. Jack U. Even though he makes music sometimes in a genre is, that I'm not always interested yeah. in, he's, he's an growing incredible up, dude. He's growing up and experimenting in some interesting ways that I find I'm like, I'm, I'm yeah. curious to see what comes out next. I personally do not connect yeah. on the wavelength that Justin, of dubstep. That Justin Bieber song has a billion plays. That's right. crazy. And that's a great tune. I, I like, I, I, I'd love to just, again, like we jokingly will shit on a lot of stuff here. Uh, you know, it's, it's always out of good fun and in passing for the most part. But I want to clearly state that our stance is if you like music, power to you. Like, I'm not mad at anybody for liking what they like. In fact, I would, I would always say if you like something, you don't need to justify why. And yeah. if I've, if anything we've said has, has cast a shadow on, on any of that, make sure, you know, my, you like whatever you want and, my, and whether it's for me or not, I respect my favorite musical music, choices. My favorite music is the most abrasive noises in the world. Hey, uh, um, or, uh, Do you like Mashuga too? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, I uh, sent, like what you like. I sent these two 
a video I took of my air conditioning unit that I said, am I crazy or does this not sound just like the brainwasher? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we like a Lastly, lot of sounds that shouldn't be called music. Before we move on from Michael, um, this is I think he sent this solely for Darren because he's been obsessed with a specific song. Uh, called Rasputin. Michael, I just want to say before we even press play, I, I love you for this. <laughs> I love you for sending this, this and is making a, me aware that this exists. This is a mashup of uh, Boney M's Rasputin with Wet Ass Pussy from Cardi <laughs> B. Ah. That's incredible. That is so incredible. <laughs> that's that's powerful. Uh, that's something I'm going to add into my playlists on Spotify for sure. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Michael, for that. Nick C uh, just wanted to let us to know that he he's digging the show, uh, um, uh, and that after Devin um, mentioned the Tiana Mar Mar uh, Tiana Marie song "Square Biz" last week. That uh, he's he did a friggin' remix of it called "To the Beat," and this is Nixie under the name DS Diestra D S T R A on SoundCloud. If you want to check it out. Hell yeah, Nixie. Yeah, there you Man, go. That rocks. That does rock. What's crazy? Cool groove. Um, <laughs> I love that song. Devin uh, mentioned an obscure song from the 1980s, and uh, and in the last week, uh, somebody from somewhere in the world reached out and said, "Hey, I actually remixed that crazy obscure song from the 80s." Nick's our people. He's our people. You're our people. If you want to reach out uh, and talk about Daft Punk, if you want to correct something we may have said on the show, if you want to tell your personal story about um, loving Daft Punk, if you met the guys, anything. If you have anything to say about Daft Punk at all that you would like to share with us, uh, we love it. It's my favorite part of this, this show, that we get to connect with uh, Daft Punk fans from literally all around the world. You can email us at info at alive 2021 you can. You can also go to alive2021.com and buy a fucking t-shirt. Yeah, and also follow us on all the social medias, too. I mean, it helps us out. Uh, the, the big things that help us are, are uh, if you want to help, uh, obviously go explore the website and stuff. But those follows uh, and also uh, leaving reviews on the uh, whatever app you're listening to us on right now, that helps a lot, too. Um, so if you, if you haven't left us a positive review yet, uh, maybe, What's taking uh, you so long? Yeah, maybe don't be such a coward. Maybe <laughs> tell the world how you feel publicly. And if you're listening to a lot of Daft Punk on <clears throat> Spotify, throw my music on in between some of it and let the algorithm suck that up because the that's algorithm. what Spotify is doing. Um, we need to synthesize that into some lyrics for a dance song. Let, let the algorithm suck, suck it up. up. <laughs> let the algorithm suck it up. Uh, you guys want to get into this app? I would love to get into this app. I am excited for this one. I've been in this app. The post-alive 2007 years were spent away from the constant shine of the spotlight but there was a lot happening in uh, the Daft Punk world around this time. After the whirlwind, whirlwind World Tour, Tomas Bangalter and Guy Manuel de Homem Cristo parted ways with their manager, Pedro Winter. Oh. Yeah. 
Uh, you may remember from our first episode that the boys had met Pedro at a party after he was a recent uh, like business school grad um, doing uh, parties and DJing around uh, the Paris rave scene and just kind of sight unsold. They were like, busy hey, P, man, right? busy, busy P. Guys, busy P. They were like, they kind of just like, hey, man, you seem to know what you're doing. Do you want to be our manager? And he was like, yeah. Uh, uh, and he's, so he's been with them since the very beginning, like before Soma, everything, um, said Pedro, I feel blessed to have worked with them for close to 12 years. I owe them all of my life. They are geniuses, but also on a personal level, it was important to prove to myself that I could create something myself. The split was amicable, amicable and mutual. Pedro, who performs under the name Busy P had founded Ed Banger Records in 2003 and the label exploded in global popularity when Justice hit big in 2007, right around the world tour. This makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. Their, uh, um, Pedro's new venture was taking over his life, uh, kind of making the live tour almost like a victory lap for his work with France's original electronic big boys. Um, so that I never had thought about that, that like that kind of being his final yeah. thing with them. Uh, and it like they uh, they obviously still love each other. Yeah. He had grown on to bigger and better things. You when know, you, when you said that they split, I was like, oh, no, what happened? And then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah his record label. Blew yeah, his up. his record label I mean, exploded. It still slaps. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's you know, got we've talked bigger about it's ever been. We've talked about Ed Banger Records several times throughout the course of the show. It was around like when when Justice hit in 2007, yeah. Ed Banger and the noise that they were producing and the the brand that they were building were was one of the most influential the sound of every festival. Yeah, yeah I mean the, the most influential noises and sounds uh of the like the mid 2000s like it just it it, it completely encapsulated I mean, the world just some. a couple. I mean obviously Justice Sebastian, Breakbot, Mr. Oiso. I mean it's 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 a ridiculous Everybody. yeah. uh ridiculous collection and, of, and then, of um, folks. And then you re- like think about the tendrils past then and the people they influenced yeah. in that the way that that yeah. sound kind of like precipitated throughout the industry for a for an independent label yeah. in France to have as influential uh, of a voice as they had yeah. in this music industry and become as global as they I did. I mean, we talk about unbelievable. We talk about a little bit how like for me, you know, as somebody who is into like you know more the punk rock side of things. Yeah. For me, a a a, a group like Justice had to exist to bridge me into yeah. this because justice is 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 an act i'm familiar with even before um liking quote unquote the edm side oh, of yeah. music or whatever because justice like you like you mentioned it's the justice, it's the rock band for justice was like some the, or it's the electronic band for others absolute perfect right festival act in like 2008 2009 2010 as as the this groundswell for edm was happening and it was becoming more and more of the public like zeitgeist they were they were perfect for that specific moment in time because there were still so many people in the world that were like fuck that I don't want any of right. that dance shit and they just bridged the gap yeah. so well and I mean, and help helped normalize if you listen normalize to it. growing up it was like the biggest festival acts and everything I went to as a kid was like the biggest pig they grew that year the biggest year of corn <laughs> the um, whoever could eat the most pies and that was every yeah. festival i went to that was the headliner yeah and then suddenly yeah. and suddenly, and suddenly your hometown <laughs> yeah the 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 corn queen <laughs> festival in your hometown yeah all of a sudden 
the corn queen got bumped for justice yeah, growing <laughs> up everything my parents took me to it seems like all they had was big food and stuff and then suddenly i was just yeah. dance it was I it mean, was a really big deal when the the macomb <laughs> corn queen yeah got bumped for justice it's truly wild though yeah, like it's truly wild though if you if you are if you are a, like like a, a, a diehard rock and roll fan a never edm or, or whatever the fuck then like a song like "We Are Your Friends" is a rock yeah. song hit through and through. But if you listen to it, it is some of the grooviest electronic I, stuff you'll I ever hear. Told I, I, I think I've mentioned this on the show. Um, uh, I saw in two times in one year. I think it was two thousand nine. I can't remember now. Yeah, I saw Justice headline two different festivals in the same summer. Yeah, they were a headliner at Ultra, which is just. A dance music festival. Right. If you are at Ultra, you love dance music. Is that that's my is that that's my Miami, and they headlined there, and I was watching with all these like dance kids, and they were like, "What is this? this is what is this rock shit? This is crazy. This is awesome. What is yeah. this rock shit?" And then th- three months later, I saw them at Lollapalooza, and it was all the rock kids, and they were like, "What? The, what is this shit? Yeah. What is this dance like?" And it was so cool to see wildly different. Uh, crowds pr- see the same show and because it was it, it was a real bridge gapping thing yeah um so very pa- cool yeah paul han um who had uh he, he had worked with with daft arts for years as a visual artist and we've mentioned his name on the show so just a reminder though daft arts is it, it, that's the organization when they in los angeles specifically yeah. tied to los angeles yeah. so that's that's part of them and then Daft right. Crafts is in da- Daft Crafts, yeah, on the other coast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the other coast. They have Daft Crafts in yeah. Massachusetts with Robert Kraft. Yes. I just want to, yeah, yeah. I want to call back one of my favorite jokes of all time. I don't remember which one of you said it, but it's worthy of a reminder. Uh, whoever brought up, uh, we love martial arts, but we never hear anything about martial crafts. That was I, me, I, baby. That's I can't still stop one of my favorite jokes ever made, and I just I think it's worthy of a plug right here. It is. It is crazy. Every time I hear the word art, yeah. I'm like art school. Yeah. All yeah. I can think about is crafts. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference? Yeah, right. I apologize for interrupting no. the, the stuff you spent so much time on for this bad calls. I spent a lot of time on that joke. On a callback, I'm not specifically sure that that was on this show. No, it might have been our other one. On I might, it, might, it might have not even been on a show. It might have just been in <laughs> life. Who knows? Yeah, we talk to each other a lot. Some say too much. <laughs> yeah, I think our significant others definitely think too yeah. much. That is 100% <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so he became the new band manager, keeping it in the Daft family. But one of Pedro's last acts as manager was bringing the boys a demo. It was a song that took a vocal sample of Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. And he's like, you guys might want to check this out. It's by this, um, I don't know, little known, this little known uh, hip hop artist from America. He's only had already, and with two albums, he's only, he's already only had two number one hits in his first two albums. His name's Kanye West. You, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he he wants to sample your stuff. Yep. What do you guys think of this? Tomas Guiman loved it as soon as they heard it, and they gave it their blessing. They got a co-writing credit on the song. Edwin Birdsong is also has a co-writing credit on the song. The song, stronger. Yeah. By Kanye West. Right off of his third album, Graduation. They uh, did not meet Kanye in person until August 3rd, 2007, when they performed at Kanye's hometown music festival, Lollapalooza. Side note to history, um, 
that show is specifically notable for a young Andy Reid being in attendance. Yep. <laughs> I my goal in life is to get that fact on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. That's a good that's a good goal. Citation put it on the, needed. the football coaches thing. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. You know? Yeah. You cite this or whatever. Yeah. Put it on his. Put it on his. Who gives a shit? Andy Reid. I got I got um I got uh a um ban. Well, not a ban, like a timeout from Wikipedia cuz I made uh I made one for the editor in chief of our college paper <laughs> as a joke. You know what? Um, it was all it was just all like funny stuff I like had written about it. I just put citation needed for everything. So I got a timeout. So I was I was reading something and I'm glad you brought up Stronger again because I found a fact that I had hoped we would talk about Stronger and I knew I guess yeah. But one thing I read recently, I think it was on Rolling Stone, is that Kanye said that when it was all of Stronger, when it was all said and done, he Attempted and mixed and remixed that song over 75 times before he was happy with it, which is wild. I get that. And that's, I mean, but that sounds like, again, I I just want to take, uh, for anybody who doesn't understand that Kanye is a producer, not a rapper, that's what that means. And that that man sits there and and perfectionists that mix. So they, they, uh, yeah, they didn't have anything to do with the production of the song. Right. But they liked it. They're like, "Yeah, you can have it." We get a they get a co-writing credit. They meet at Lollapalooza. Um, so the Lollapalooza show was four days after Kanye had released "Stronger" um, as the um, in the lead up to the release of "Graduation." So uh, "Stronger" entered the Billboard Hot 100 a week after Daft Punk's Lollapalooza show and ended up selling more than five million copies. That's nine platinum certificates. Yeah, that's the wild. album. 2007, Alive 2007 came out before this show. Yeah, no, the album, no. So they, but it's in the middle of Alive 2007. So do you think no, them the, re-releasing Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger as the single from that album was anything to do with Kanye's gigantic hit the, using the same thing? Maybe. Well, it's also just like... I the, mean, it's a yeah. great tune, but they, they could have released maybe. any of those. So this got released uh, July 31st. Jacob uh, Pomerito's sister's birthday. Jacob, Jacob Pomerito's sister's birthday. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, um, the... <laughs> album of the tour got released in november which is around when the single got released so maybe right. it could be I, th- I also just think that 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 is it's like two of their biggest hits of all time mashed up together it's an incredible break in the middle of that song i think that really sp- speaks as a single to what they yeah. were doing to me it could but it could have been Wait, it's, yeah it's harder better faster stronger what what is that one and around the world and around together. the world okay yeah. but i mean there 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 is a case that one more time i you know what i mean like right. it could yeah. be the same so i don't know i kind of like that train but, but, of thought yeah. i'm gonna choose to believe your yeah train it could, of thought it on could be because if it was yeah uh aerodynamic uh, uh one more time for me is if you're judging which songs are the biggest yeah. that is that yeah that's an interesting thought yeah and if you know different write it down on a piece of paper mail it to andy do not say it to me because i don't want to hear any different do not coward. say it to do Devin. not coward. say it to me or my kids <laughs> coward stronger to stop calling our audience cowards. yeah please stop calling anybody listening to this cowards you guys are all so brave for making it this far into a podcast that darren can will not stop calling you cowards during uh stronger entered the billboard hot 100 a week after that punk's lollapalooza show uh five million copies nine platinums you know who the real winner is? Edwin Birdsong. Yeah. Because yeah. he gets paid for 
harder, better, faster, stronger. He gets paid for the Live 2007 single, and he gets paid for Kanye Stronger. Mm -hmm. That is more money than I'll make in my entire yeah. life because, yeah. you know, Bro, conceivably, Tomas just found this track that he liked and, and remixed baby it. or whatever that Coca -Cola. was. Cola, Cola Bottle Baby. Cola Which, Bottle that song Bottle. goes. That song rocks. That's good. Um, it ousted Crank That. By Soldier Boy from the top spot. Man, that was a huge song. Yeah, at that time. it certainly was. I, Anytime you can come up with a fun novelty dance, yeah, the song's gonna explode. It's gonna explode. Yeah. Um, so uh, everybody talks about Starboy as Daft Punk's number one, first number one hit. Yeah, they have a co-writing credit on this. This this went all the way to number one. Um, so they they technically didn't help write this song, so maybe they don't claim ownership over it as a number yeah. one. But I mean, they, they have a co-writing credit on the song. It's so clear. Then and then they become uh, their their helmets are on the the single, yeah. single. They're in the video. They perform with him. This is their first number one hit. Yeah. Uh, it. <laughs> Uh, it's also the 16th most downloaded song in the history of iTunes. It was Spotify's most streamed song of 2007. Australia's music chart is at the top 500. It was on the Australian top 500 for more than a decade. That's wild. This is on this my is, friend Zach's workout playlist. Yeah. So every time we hang out at his house, this comes on. And this is not an era of Kanye that I revisit very much. Yeah. I always do the first couple records and then some of the later stuff. But there are a couple tracks on this album that are really good. I I, I was uh, and I still am not necessarily recent Kanye, but I loved Kanye. I loved Kanye yeah. for so long. Uh, and this this specifically is one of the things that really opened my yeah. eyes well before I, I I dug deep into Daft Punk. This was really something that put Daft Punk on my radar because I loved Kanye. Yeah. I loved his first three albums. I loved the change of pace with 808s and into Dark Twisted Fantasy. I'm, I love you know that what? journey. I, I want to admit right here because – as a person with a music journalism podcast, yes, I should admit my faults. Okay, I've never listened to my Dark Twisted Fantasy. That's uh, a record. I know that's it. what we, everybody. That's what everybody days, says. One, of, it's one of my favorite. I albums. like. Yeah. One of these days, we'll sit down and watch Power, which yeah. is the the video. I've that seen goes. that. But like one of the most or compelling parts the whole, of is it? that the whole video. It's, I've a, only it's like seen, a thirty minute. I've seen thing. the. I've it's, seen it's like not the whole album, but it is. It's great. I one mean, of, that album is I have great. not listened to that one album. One of the most compelling back. parts of it is a he samples an entire Aphex Twin song. Oh, that's cool. Thing. I don't think I've ever heard that. So I got I, I got to. Yeah, you got to. We'll do it. We'll um, do it their places. contribution to the biggest hit of the year led Daft Punk's led to Daft Punk's first ever televised performance and their long love affair with the Grammys. Yep. So they they're they had an affair. They had a, They fucked the Grammys. <laughs> they had to. They had to. They they played with them at the 2008 show, and uh, famously, that's their first of three performances at the Grammys. Uh, and interestingly, this is an era where um, folks are wanting to sample Daft Punk and want to uh, um, work with Daft Punk. In ways that uh, like uh, music happens out of them, uh, and these people, uh, these artists, then are incorporated back into the Daft Punk family at a later date. So uh, uh, after this uh, team up with Kanye, they actually get to work with Kanye later, and uh, we'll talk about their work on the Yeezus album uh, on a later episode. Also, 
I think they've very famously at this point worked with Pharrell. And around this time, uh, um, Pharrell put uh, Pharrell put out a record with his group NERD, uh, and Daft Punk produced the track "Hypnotize You." Here's a here's a clip of Pharrell talking about how that came to be. Uh, Thomas comes up and says, "What's up?" And I'm like, "Oh, hey, how you guys doing?" And uh, we just talked for a second, and they were like, "Well, we're all going upstairs uh, to have drinks, and uh, actually, we have to." we have the Tron album with us. I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, all right, cool. I got the NERD album with me. And uh, we went upstairs, we were playing records, and I loved their stuff, and they were saying how much they loved our stuff. And I was like, man, we should just do something. And then um, a couple minutes later, they found a track, they played the track, and the track for Hypnotize You. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started singing. And uh, the rest is history. The very next night, we went in and recorded at George Harrison's studio uh, there in London. and. Uh, very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so we, yeah, we we listened to uh, Pharrell's the NERD remix on Daft Club. This happened, and I I've forgotten that they produced a track yeah. for NERD, uh, um, "Hypnotize You," um, and then um, just a couple years later, he's a huge part of Random Access Memories. Yeah, I, that remix from from Daft Club is. I think about that all the time. Yeah, that's it, a really a, insanely cool. It, thing. It's a real standout I, because it's so different than every. It's not a dance remix. It it's just the so jammy the sound of RAM. I, there I, is so much RAM yeah. in there. Should we should we hear a clip of Hypnotize? Yeah, yeah absolutely. To. Okay, great. Those those drums are crazy, but that that synth that they turned down a little bit that sounds to me that's Daft Punk. Yeah, it's that's it's, a Daft Punk noise. It's cool to we talked about this a little bit before we hit record today, right? Which is you know I, I gave I gave the weekend stuff a little bit more of a listen to recently, and we were talking about how that it dawned on me that that really occupies that Michael Jackson sound, and I think that this track does yeah. the same thing. Yeah, um, it's 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 something that that they. They clearly like. Yeah. I mean, it, it, oh, like, yeah, has there's, that, there's that, absolutely no doubt in well, the just world. Looking at Ram, look at the just yeah. the the text that they use on Ram, the the album stuff, right? And the uh, and compared to Thriller, absolutely. But I just I think that. it's cool to again hear where Daft Punk they're consistent in what they like. It's how they utilize yeah. that. And, oh, yeah. and what they do with it, that that absolutely is very cool. The other thing is, I watched the Bee Gees documentary this weekend, which I loved. Um, when Barry Gibbs, so they were a band for twenty years or whatever yeah. before, while they were in the studio, Barry Gibbs did that falsetto thing, mm -hmm. and that reinvented their sound. And absolutely, they had huge hit records after that. Singing in that falsetto register was not as widely done at that time. Other groups had, but that was their signature thing. Yeah. Pharrell does that falsetto thing, and it's very evocative yeah. of a very disco sound. And it's yeah. it's very like like also with with that track, uh, hypnotize hypnotize you you hypnotize you. Um, it, it's Wait, still him or me, <laughs> me. everyone oh. always at the same time. Us. Uh, it feels though, it, you know, Royal even you. even the way that that song is 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 arranged, it does sound. 
a lot like an evolution of that Neptune's track on on uh, Daft Club, which sure. again, it's got that same. It's got a very similar that 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 resonating low is it's a kick probably uh, that. I bet it's, a, it's an same. 808 kick. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just, but it sounds. Um, Again, it's 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 cool to see these pieces that you forget about that mm-hmm. link up. You know, how do we go from Neptune's on Daft Club to Ram? And you hear these cool stories, and it's just like these guys just like each other. Oh, they yeah. like each other's music. They respect it. It's very cool to hear a story about you know, hey, I got my new stuff. You got your new stuff. Let's go listen. And we'll go to George Harrison's yeah. recording studio in London tomorrow. Well, I so mean, we'll we'll talk about why they were at George Harrison's totally. recording studio during this time yeah. specifically. But I think it's just it's a cool thing to yeah. see the 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 missing piece. That's yeah, kind of the they, stuff I yeah, like. The fact that they could go to the next day to George Harrison's recording studio is because they were working on this record we're talking about today. Yeah. Uh, in 2009, Daft Punk partnered with DJ Hero to become an unlockable player set piece in uh, the Guitar Hero spinoff. Uh, the game's in-house musicians produced a handful of Daft Punk remixes and mashups, and we've actually heard from several Daft Punk fans out there who mentioned the... Daft Punk remixes from DJ Hero specifically as something as a way that they got into the band. So I was looking at because uh, I'm not a DJ Hero person. I liked Guitar Hero. I had DJ Hero. I, had, I loved I it. It was very, really fun. I had the the first Guitar Hero. I think I don't remember, but but anyway, I was watching um, just some some streamers playing through the Daft Punk songs. I wanted to familiarize myself. It's very funny because that game is it's it's essentially a slider like a crossfader and yeah. then um and then buttons you, on the buttons on, on the, the thing but also the up and down mixes so they had to work in a lot of scratching into the remixes yeah. for the songs and it's very <laughs> funny to hear record scratching in these daft punk remixes for dj hero yeah uh go i would recommend go checking do those you still out. have it andy i have the controller i don't have it uh it doesn't work with ps4 now i got a ps3 still then we should play we should play i have it yeah yeah we'll play it one night i have yeah maybe maybe we can set up a thing where we live stream playing it on 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 my gaming channel yeah why not scratching is so uh it's so not a part of of a lot of dancing it's wild too because i was playing around so i had i had the dj controller out the other day and i was i was was, uh hanging out with the spending some time with with some some of the children in my life and uh i was letting them play around with the scratching and all I was doing was playing with the crossfader so that they could scratch and it could if I crossfaded it right it could sound cool and honestly there's some cool stuff you could do if you get over the cheesiness of scratching or whatever listening to DJ Easy yeah doing his like crazy yeah fader stuff like he's not doing like scratching scratching but he will do those kind of like fast old DJ tracks. I'm like, yeah. that's very fun. It yeah. is. It's fun to, to play around with that stuff. And it's, again, it's, it's one of those things where it's cool to see, you know, when you lose that added, like we talked about earlier, if you like what you like and you want to explore sounds that are compelling power to yeah. you, I don't care who it is. And I don't care. You know I mean? Like go for it. It's cool to <laughs> lose that scratching kind of lame idea and just play around with stuff. And yeah, I think, again, we see that all the time in yeah. to loop it back to what we're talking about. We see it all the time. Absolutely. With and it's cool. This <laughs> we've had like five minutes of conversation on every paragraph. <laughs> this yeah. this show, I love it. We haven't seen each other in a couple. Of I know days. we haven't seen <laughs> each other. We haven't seen each other in like a week and a half. So this we're the chattiest we've ever been. <laughs> we're very chatty. I just finished my last cup of yeah. coffee today. We <laughs> we, uh, uh, we recorded a little bit ahead before uh, uh, Darren went on a vacation. So we're in the same room together for the first time in a couple of weeks. An episode that could have been one of our shortest ones, 
is definitely not going to be. I was telling I was telling you guys before. I want to give you guys some context at home. I was telling them. So I drove I drove from Michigan to Louisiana and back, which is a total of over thirty six hours of driving, in which I just listened to every piece of music I can think of. So I have so many new musical opinions yeah. that we're going to get into. Uh, I have the, the strongest musical opinions I've ever had. I have to. I have new opinions. I have. I like that energy. I, I have new opinions. I have new opinions <laughs> about new. music, and I can't wait to Everyone share Everyone listen to me. I have new opinions. My old opinions were Charmander. I'm Charmeleon now. Exactly. <laughs> My old opinions. I don't need those anymore. I, I have new need, ones. I don't I, they need evolve. those anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, I'm sorry. Let's get back to No. That, <laughs> I don't even know where we were. Uh, uh, in 2010, Tomasa Guimon were awarded the rank of Chevalier which means knight uh, of the order of arts and letters from the ministry of culture in France. So they were knighted in 2010 Great. around this time. They, had to. they also uh, around this time made a surprise appearance with Phoenix uh, at the encore in New York. That was very, one of their most famous that Madison square garden. Yeah, I think okay. so. I, uh, that's another one that I recently watched. Uh, it's awesome. It is truly awesome yeah. because they, they, they do a very good job of, of being at first an accessory <laughs> to the, the performance yeah. that's already there. Yeah. Taking the spotlight and then doing this combined thing that is freaking wild. It's mm-hmm. a very cool thing, but also it's not, hey, we're Daft Punk and we're taking. Yeah. It's not Daft Punk showing up, copy and paste it on your Phoenix show. It's very much they're doing something with Phoenix that is very cool. Yeah. So if you One haven't of the seen coolest- that, go watch it. Like very just a surprise thing they did. Yeah. Their old buddy Laurent from their days in Darlin, they teamed up with them for an encore at Phoenix. Uh, most of most of the whole thing is on on YouTube. Very cool, low very quali- cool. W- low quality video, but it's still cool to see. Uh, and it was just another one of those things that just like added to the legend of Daft Punk. Yeah. Like they just showed up at a Phoenix show and like it's the same thing as uh, like Bill Murray. Yeah, you know what I mean. Where it's like. He's cultivated this air of I can show up in yeah. anything to anything at any time. Yeah, it, but it was this one time they yeah. did it, and it fueled a decade of rumors that these guys could show up anywhere at any moment. They they did it one time, and from the I time they, they did they it, regret that. I don't know. I don't think so. I thought it was fun. I I it don't. Seems like I it don't serves. think that they. I I don't think they have any problem with, like the rumor stuff has has grown because they talk so little. I think it's like I think it kind of adds to the mystique and the aura and the brand of the thing. Like I don't think they have any problem with the fact that a Daft Punk rumor pops up about literally everything. I, I when read, it gets to the Super Bowl, it feels like a pressure. But yeah, but I read I, yeah. I read a um I'm I'm sorry whoever wrote this if you're listening. Uh, I read an opinion piece. I'm not sure who wrote it or where it was, but it was recent. It was it was um I, it was either late May or early June, so it was a few months removed from the breakup. But it was somebody talking specifically, like the the opinion, the stance that they were taking was about that juxtaposition of wanting the spotlight and needing to participate in the machine while also not you know the duality of that. And they talk. It is a very cool examination. Of of that, yeah. <laughs> Their whole career I, is. I can tell you had too much coffee. Darren Darren is fluctuating his hands wildly That's while he's making talk. this point. He's we, like he's flow grown, dancing as a as as a group as a trio. Darren we've grown flo- into some of the most. I know everyone talking, keeps talking Darren, about the way I move Darren my hands is, now. Darren, it was literally like flow dancing as he was making that we last that point. Now. I yeah. went to a thing yeah. with the uh, our improv troupe, and they were like, "Devin, you do this weird <laughs> shit with your hands." Now. Yeah, everyone's we all noticed it. We all do. 
but well, there's so much of that that like you know yeah. no, 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 just no. jittery <laughs> so daft punk was riding high at this particular moment um it was uh you know after the most precarious moment yeah. of their careers uh in a, a eclectic world tour uh, or sorry an, an electric world tour and a series of legacy pumping cameos had vaulted the robots into the pop culture aristocracy this is it you know th- like all of this stuff i feel like was yeah. like a victory lap after a live 2007 I, I i would have disagreed with you early on in this in fact i think i did disagree with you on that i think yeah. i think I, I i think there is a quote where i said to you in like episode two or three so you think ram is just a victory lap and you said yeah I no do. i meant this yeah this but this I, stuff I agree with you now um yeah. especially after this deep dive that post uh, post the uh, Alive 2007 album, they can do whatever they yeah. want alongside of this mentality that they realize they don't have anything more to prove. Right. To anyone except themselves. Right. Um, which I think that that is important for what Ram becomes. Totally. And we'll get there. So how do you capitali- uh, capitalize on this momentum? Obviously. Compose a soundtrack for a sequel to a nearly 30-year-old movie about video games by mixing their trademark electronic sound with a traditional orchestra. You have to. Boom. You gotta. That's obviously this next move. Um, We've talked a lot about them always wanting to, you know, move on to the next thing, try something new. Uh, In the research for this specific episode, I found a really interesting quote from Guimon. Uh, I think it kind of uh, uh, this is this is him reflecting on their work uh, on Tron. Uh, and I kind of think it perfectly illuminates their obsession with trying new things and never like settling down. This is Guimon. I think there was a turn right when we started. We'd made Defunk. And in England and Scotland, where our label label was, there was big pressure and attention on us, especially when you're 17 years old. It was crazy. And it was all on us so fast. And we actually did a defunct two in the studio. Uh, I don't think we've ever talked about it like publicly. We really thought there was a formula. Uh, So he like he mimics the the um, synth, Uh, and then he goes. I remember feeling we uh, have to kill that stuff and go the other way. There were two roads there, and we took the uh, the road doing totally the opposite. We did rolling and scratching instead, and we consciously killed defunct two. And it's oh, it's always been about following the unexpected since then. I never knew that. That's a really interesting thing. That is like, interesting. That's great. They had like they, they, they hit with something. They're 17 years old, and they're like, "Let's just do that again." And whatever, whatever that sounded like, they were like, "You know what? We we they squelched that and moved on to something else." They uh, the next thing they produced was Rolling and Scratching. That's amazing because Rolling and Scratching is is the Daft Punk track that's changed my brain. I, and, and, like, it's, and I, and I it's, don't even want to. I don't even want to downplay how much that track is my gateway to everything yeah. I like electronically. That track specifically. Well, you like you th- like we we as a group have joked a lot about Chubby Checker. Yes, <laughs> yeah. a fra- is a phrase that I can't. We talk about Chubby Checker we, a lot. We as, talk, as friends, we discuss we, Chubby Checker. As every friends day. off mic, we we discuss Chubby Checker a lot because he he hit Paydirt with the twist. Yep. And he was all of a sudden the biggest music artist in the country. And the next summer, he put out Let's Twist Again. 
Like we did last summer. Last, like we like did, we like did literally the, literally the, the lyrics are, let's twist again like we did last summer. Like, please buy my and record. Honestly, I think and he, that that's... he put out a whole record of twist related songs after that, years after right. that. He, he kept chasing this idea. Like if I can capture this twist energy again, people will want to buy more of my stuff. They could, if they put out Defunct two after Defunct, they could have easily fallen into a thing yeah. where like, well, we're, that's our noise now. I mean, like, not- like, like I love Ratatat. Ratatat's never done anything that didn't sound like the first song they ever right. did. You and know? like you, you, the other side of the world is, you know, if they come up with a Defunct two, is it are they a one hit wonder? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we think about yeah. like another one we talk about. It's a different totally different world but like eiffel 65's blue there's yeah. like six different i'm versions of that song on the on the, i am the album. so much more offended that you just compared daft punk to eiffel 65 than, i'm com- than, comparing chubby checker than, to eiffel 65 than, than anything than any like I, mozart comparisons I will make you've it ever... clear i'm comparing chubby checker <laughs> to eiffel 65 i'm gonna keep thinking about that because that is that's really interesting yeah that i'm gonna keep thinking I, about I, that for a long i read time. that yeah. i read that thing it was just uh, um, in in this this also speaks to um, they didn't give a ton of interviews around Tron. Yeah, they gave a few a few and they talked about it. They sounded so happy and allu- like uh, uh, the stuff that we heard from them in the last cycle, the a human after all cycle. They were g- working through something. They were talking about you know being weighted down and stuff. It was very interesting to me that like Gimon opens up this way and tells this story that they've never told before about a defunct two. And they just sound like at peace, and they're like, you know, people didn't like the last one. Yeah. Now we're now we're hearing it spun at like DJ parties, like people are spinning robot rock. So you never know. Like we'll put this out, and who cares? Yeah, we don't care about what people are gonna think about it. They're just they just sound comfortable and at peace now. It's really cool. It is very cool. So, according to Mitchell Lieb, who is the president of music and soundtracks at Disney. Two producers of the movie, Sean Bailey and Justin Springer, approached Tomasi Guimond sometime in 2007 about a potential Tron project. Uh, at that point, uh, there was no plan. There was no script. There was no director yet. They're just like, Disney's kicking the can around on a Tron thing. What do you guys think? Uh, uh, it's 2007. Uh, the movie didn't have a director at the time, but it seemed like something two movie-obsessed robots would be into. <laughs> uh, and there were obvious comparisons to their robot light-up suits from the clim- climactic encore of Alive 2007 and Tron. And guess what? They were right. Those were Tron-inspired. The boys, uh, at, at, you know, when they were seven and eight, had seen the movie. Uh, it wasn't quite the uh, uh, revolutionary experience of them watching um, Phantom of the Paradise, but they were big fans. Um, they t- sounded intrigued, but they left it at that. They were busy with the tour. We know how they don't like to take on too much at any given time, so whatever. Uh, um Said Lieb, Daft Punk, for the most part, only do one thing at a time, which is uh, why they're so great at what they do. It is incredible focus. So I think at the time they were initially approached, they were tied up with other things. Soon, Joseph Kaczynski, a man in his mid-30s with an architecture degree whose unpublished graphic novel, Oblivion, had caused a bidding war between Disney and Universal, was attached to direct... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this this movie what we're we talking about this yeah. this movie was directed by an architecture graduate who had never directed a movie before in his life he that tom cruise movie oblivion is based on a 
graphic novel that had not been published at the time that that movie studios were like we got to get this guy involved and they and how do i get the how do i get that to happen how do i get that to happen disney gave this guy 200 million dollar budget and a man that had never directed a movie before and was like have at it kid that's crazy to me that's truly crazy it's that's really good, crazy I, i'm sure he's very talented i'm sure there are big fans of him out there i don't know much about him that's an incredible that's a that's a grift in a yeah. very cool way. It's a, good yeah, for him. good for him figuring it out a way. How do I figure out how to talk I, that? Because like there's there's things like like um, directors with only one or two movies under their belts have been given Star Wars movies and have either flamed out or like they're you know like some of those projects have like whatever flamed yeah. out. How does Disney <laughs> say, "Hey man, we like we like what you're doing." Uh, here's two hundred million dollars, even though you've never directed anything in your life. That I can't, I cannot get over That's that fact. I mean, I think point. it is. I mean, it is the. It's the. I mean, it is the Star Wars mentality. It's the same thing. Yeah. Because it's the same. But thing. Does, does that mean like that Disney and the producers of the movie wanted more creative control, and they were like, we can, we can exert pressure over this I, kid I, that doesn't I know would, what he's doing. I would bet that there was some big over oversight yeah. group or what do you or think something. his next movie is it's oblivion right no no i mean what what's his next movie now oh i don't know top gun maverick is it really yeah he's awesome. directing top gun maverick that means <laughs> yeah. he got along he really it. well because tom cruise picks his own directors yeah yeah know? like he works with christopher mccrory as a script person on one of the mission impossibles if he likes somebody you're his director mm-hmm. now that means him and Tom Cruise really hit it off for Oblivion, and he was like, "You're the guy who's directing yeah. Top Gun." That's very this cool. This movie was good for him. Uh, it hit ish. Like they they spent two hundred million dollars on it. It made four hundred million. He was attached to do a sequel that fell apart, but it sounds like they're gonna do it. I don't I don't know that this guy's gonna be a part of it. I I, I I am of the Trump belief. Three Viva Las Vegas. Vegas. <laughs> I, I am on three badge of silence. I'm a. <laughs> I am of the belief that virtual any, trod three <laughs> virtual Vegas. I, I'm of the belief that any of the big nostalgia pieces are going to get revived every five to ten yeah. years for the rest of our lives. So yeah. they, there will be a there will be another Tron. Oh, there yeah. will be another everything. I so I, I was curious because the the DVD of this that I bought to watch it had a preview for the last uh, Pirates movie. Yeah. Uh, and I remember that being a huge flop, right? And everybody hating it. It made seven hundred and fifty billion or million dollars. Yeah, it's it's like wild. that. Like the so that. Disney, how have they not made another one of those? Disney doesn't. Pirates. They made. It was a disappointment that it only made seven hundred fifty. I'm pretty sure there dollars. is more pirates. They've made like six of them now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, but the la- the last one was like it was a bit crazy. of a disappointment. It was the it was the lowest grossing of the pirates movies. It only made seven hundred and fifty yeah. I mean, million dollars. I'm fairly confident that Di- Disney's model is is. It, I mean, their misses are you know, hundred two hundred million dollar profits yeah. at this point because they're right. a, they're a machine. I mean, look at look at, I mean, look at the Marvel machine. Mm-hmm. It's a that's a machine. Every every they're, movie that comes out has to be a theme park. Yeah, every yeah. every three months they have another record breaking movie come out. I mean, it's it's wild when you think of the yeah. combination of of the big Disney movies, the big totally. Star Wars movies, the big Marvel movies, and yeah. now well, that, that, that has all happened since, here. since this, this, is, yes. this is 2010. I, right, but what I'm saying They is, have since bought all of Marvel and all of Star Wars and all of ABC. This that has all happened since then. But it's I think only gotten crazy. There's a there's a there's a you know, this is a rung on that ladder. Yeah. That's my point. We're this is 
isn't important. We're doing two Disney podcasts tonight. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> we yeah, because we're, we Man, did a, Disney, another show I'm about the Disney Simpsons. Adult. I'm a Disney adult, baby. So after Lieb's initial contact with Daft Punk fizzled because they were still touring, Krasinski sat down with them as a first-time director. Um, Krasinski says, I was a big fan of Daft Punk. I was also a fan of the work Tomas and Guimond were doing outside of Daft Punk. Tomas had done that soundtrack for a movie called Irreversible, and Guimond had a side pro- tro- uh, project called Crydemore, which I was also a big fan of. It was also very clear to me that these guys were more than just dance music guys. There was certainly something about their music and the way it was uh, produced and put together and assembled, assembled especially the, the Discovery album. Uh, it showed a level of musicianship and songwriting that was clear that these guys were working on another level. Then they did this movie, Electroma, which uh, hopefully many of you guys have seen. Uh, this is a Q&A that this came from. I should have taken that part out. Uh, <laughs> which is which is uh, the incredible, uh, it's an incredible piece of art. So it was very clear to me that these uh, that there was a lot going on behind those masks. And when the project first came up, I kind of found out through mutual friends, business connections, that there was an interest on their side, too. There was clearly an interest on my side. And we set a pancake meeting in L.A. at the 101 Cafe where we converged and talked about Tron. It was really cool. Yeah, no shit. You got to eat pancakes with Tomas and Guimond. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds like, uh, <laughs> honestly, it would be a nice day. <laughs> yeah. I, I I would pay. I'm gonna. Hey, I want to get get pancakes with the robots and talk about the grid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, that's that rocks. Uh, so uh, Kaczynski later said at the first meeting, Tomas and Guiman, uh, like he they kind of turned the tables on him because they they realized that this guy would had not like directed anything and Daft Punk who had fond memories of the 80s classic he says they almost were it was almost like they were interviewing me to make sure I was going to hold up the Tron yeah. legacy and I can yeah. absolutely see Tomas being like hey you got, you got. like yeah we love we, we love this garbage <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah what is what are you going to do with this shit I can absolutely see that happening after everything we've learned about these two absolutely um KCRW DJ Jason Bentley, uh, who is a, a really well-known uh, electronic DJ in LA, He's KCRW is their their public big radio. It's huge, big public uh, big radio station in LA. He's like their electronic guy, Good. Uh, and and he he was hired as a music coordinator for the film. Uh, Bentley had been involved in the electronic music scene for decades, and even booked Daft Punk to play an L.A. club he ran in the 90s. So he had a, a, a prior relationship with them. With pre-production happening, the idea of getting the two famous robots involved in a Tron movie, Tron movie seemed like too good of an idea not to pursue. Thus began nearly a half-year courtship of the robots. It took them o- uh, almost five whole months to get them to, like, agree. Yeah. <laughs> they really mulled it over. Um, Lieb was in constant uh, uh, Lieb was in contact with Tomas and Guiman throughout those months, assuring them that uh, Disney, the filmmakers, the music department, and, and, and everything would empower them, support them, and help them through the process. Uh, they would uh, would they do this alone? Would they co- uh, collaborate with another composer uh, who would be a great arranger? Where would they record it? We had to help them explore some important questions. And Tomas and Guiman at this point. Uh, uh, for their part, they had only recorded three albums together, uh, and they had tooled around with solo solo projects, including um, that irreversible soundtrack we talked about. 
they had not recorded in a proper professional studio, much less commanded an 85-piece orchestra together. No matter how interested they were in hopping on board, they needed to know if they even could. Like, this is a huge step. We are, like, up till this point, we're talking about the guys that were like, you can make music in your bedrooms, right? Like, now, now now it's like everyone can make music in their bedrooms fairly easily. These are the two guys that showed the world that they could make hit music in a bedroom studio, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about them commanding uh, a, a, an orchestra. So very very early on, there were discussions about uh, whether there could be a collaboration situation. Uh, um, they had talked with people at Disney about maybe co-scoring it with somebody like Hans Zimmer or Alexandre Desplat, like some well-known movie composer uh so jason bentley this is a quote from him he says one of my earliest jobs on this with them was to take them around and meet various composers very early on the idea was well actually we don't know how they'll do this uh do they want to pair up with an established composer anything was possible so i organized a bunch of meetings with a-list composers in town uh and everybody threw open their doors and were very generous with their times this is han zimmer gary gregson williams you know like the best composers and so it was great to just watch them absorb information and, and you know how generous people were at the end of the two week uh, time frame of meetings and the funniest situations where, you know, I'm driving through Burbank and they're in this crazy convertible behind me in my rear view mirror. I'm just hoping to not lose them. They're such characters in real life. They're really, really such characters. At the end uh, of it, we said, OK, well, who do you want to work with? And they said, we want to do it ourselves. <laughs> And of course, the studio who would love to have a guarantee and insurance policy of having of having Hans Zimmer there was a little unnerved by that. But we believed in them. So like they spent weeks on Disney's dime interviewing like the all of the the music composers in the movie industry. And they were like, yeah, actually, we got it. That's him (laughs) buying 200 magazines on cinematography. Absolutely. It's like, let me me hear all these people and figure out what they're doing. Absolutely. It It is so funny after everything we know about these guys to hear this, because like, like this guy is setting up these meetings and thinking like, how crazy would it be to have Daft Punk and Hans Zimmer make music together and they're and they're in their minds like we're gonna we're gonna fucking figure this out I, I mean, wonder what uh, are we gonna talk about the first Tron soundtrack a little bit okay then we can we can talk about it so they yeah. they I mean it's consistent with with Daft Punk I, I think that this idea of, of interviewing these people and picking their brains oh, yeah. and then oh yeah that's this is that like they them. I mean they want to they they want to Step into a world that they don't understand this, over and over and over again in their career. They step into a world that they don't quite have a grasp on. They meet influential and important and in, uh, in, in smart people in that realm. They absorb information from them, and then they turn that thing into their own version of it, right? If, they do this over and over again. If they left their meeting with Leji Masumoto, it's amazing. Right? If they left yeah. that meeting thinking, we know enough about him to feel comfortable animating or whatever they would have done Interstellar yeah. by themselves. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's yeah. the thing. I mean, I think yeah. that that's the and, reality of yeah. all of it. They are, they are, they're incredible artists, but throughout their career, they are eager students of art Yeah, over and over again. 
they see something they like Active. and they their first thought yeah. is how can we do that yeah and, and, and they and learn then how can we do that they our learn, way is, yeah. is the most important step they learn that. yeah they learn from geniuses they absorb that information and then they figure out the way that they're going to do it yeah. their way exactly yeah. how can we replicate this and yeah. then the next step how can we replicate it in a daft punk way yeah. and that's what they do totally um uh they also needed somewhere to record or more accurately some wares uh, they first uh, asked Disney to set them up with a recording studio in Los Angeles, and Tomas and Guimond zeroed in on a room they wanted to use in the Jim Henson Studios. Uh, Lieb remembers uh, seeing it for the first time. He said the room was tiny. Lieb said, it was just a funky little room at Henson. By no means was it a normal re- recording studio. It was a giant closet. It had no windows. It had no control room. It was basically looked like you had just walked into a, the small brain of the Starship Enterprise. There was gadgetry everywhere. Wow. So that was their first like base it's of the operations. It's the room from the Phantom of the Paradise. It's absolutely the that's room. What from- I'm, that's what I'm picturing <laughs> yeah, when we're talking yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Wood paneling me too. synthesizer Mood, control yeah. room. <laughs> Wood paneled synthesizers. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. I'm thinking too. Uh, and that is where they they that was their base of operations, and that's where it's it. I'm pretty sure that that's where all of the electronic music was composed in that room at Jim Henson. Yeah. <clears throat> For the next 19 months, uh, Daft Punk com- uh, promised Disney to focus on nothing but the soundtrack. It was a big undertaking, so they wanted to give it their undivided attention. Tomas said. This project is by far the most challenging and complex thing we've ever been involved with. Coming from our background of making electronic music in a small bedroom and ending up having our music performed by a 90-piece orchestra with some of the best musicians in the world, we are lucky to have this opportunity to experience some powerful moments artistically over the years. But recording this orchestra was a very intense experience. So around this time, uh, uh, there's a story from ohmydisney.com who said Daft Punk turned Michelle Gondry down when he asked if he could use Robot Rock in a in one of his movies and they were just like we're we're focused on this we don't want to no we don't want to do anything right now wow uh so Robot Rock wasn't in whatever movie he, they uh Michelle what year Gondry is this? 2010 2009 so maybe Science of Sleep Science of Sleep or Be Kind Rewind you know oh, Be Kind Rewind yeah. you know what's that super sucks. you know what's wild is Robot Rock is prominent in War Machine's fight in Iron Man 2, which is 2010. That sucks. That really <laughs> does suck. I, I could correct me if I'm wrong, I Worlds, but I'm fairly certain Robot Rock is the score to War Machine's big fight in Iron Man 2. I'm, I'm fairly certain of that. Uh, I'm gonna look at uh, it. one. Yeah. One opportunity was too good to pass up. Uh, they did call Disney reps and ask if it was okay. Uh, uh, so that's very cute. Like Tomas was like, "Hey man, is, like I know we said we'd focus on the Tron thing, but is is it okay if we take a couple days off during the year and a half they were solely focused on Tron?" Tomas and Guiman took a break for a few days to star in, in an Adidas commercial set in the Star Wars Cantina bar. Have you guys ever seen yeah, this? Yeah. Have you seen this? That is very Darren? cool. Yeah. Have you seen it? What was it? I'm sorry. I was looking. I was verifying. Didn't my listen claim. at all. I was verifying. Did, my have claim. you seen the the Adidas commercial where Daft Punk uh, is in the Star Wars Cantina bar? I have. Oh, I have seen that. Yes. Uh, so it's a it's a FIFA World Cup commercial, uh, and people are like watching the game at a bar. Daft Punk uh, opens it by walking into the cantina. And like the bartender, they use old footage from the movie. So the bartender's like, "We don't serve droids in here." And then, and then, and they're t- he's talking to Daft Punk at that point. And then, um, 
they have a conversation with Han Solo about the Millennium Falcon. Like this is they've they've talked about this. This is like uh, like Gimon was like we're so incredibly lucky. Like they're they're two film obsessed nerds and they got to be in Star Wars. They they got to be like in the cantina. That's I, really cool. I don't. I, this is tangential. I'm sorry. I know we're already running long, but in 2016 there was a record that came out called Star Wars Headspace. It's an electronic compilation produced by Rick Rubin. It compiles a bunch of dance tracks. It features sound effects and dialogue from Star Wars. Mm. And the songs on it are like Claude Von Stroke and Royk Sop and really? shit. Isn't that weird? That Rick cool. Rubin produced an album that Claude's on of Star Wars That's stuff. That's weird. Okay, How bizarre is, is that? This is a little bit wild, too. I, I'm okay. going to bring this up. This yeah. is a tangent, but this is, okay. this is a little wild. And okay. There might be a little bit more of a reason for this. So... You said we didn't get a Michelle Gondry yeah. Robot Rock in 2010. It also, I mean, as it, like Marvel movie, yeah. they might that might have been well, out of here, their hands. But hear, hear me out on uh-huh. this. I don't think it was because it's tied to a DJ AM cameo. Okay. That DJ AM, they, they, uh, Tony Stark calls him out by name saying, I need a beat, and that's the song that he plays is Robot Rock. Yeah. Um, and it is to... Uh, War Machine and uh, okay. and and Tony Stark fighting, so it's two robots fighting to right. Robot Rock, but it's queued up by DJ AM who died a little bit after yeah. this. So I think it was a whole Whoa, yeah. it was a whole thing I where it's I, a nod I don't to know people. anything oh, about the, the guy background died of that. In the, play, the plane crash. I'm not exactly sure. I I have no idea. Uh, I don't know anything about that. That like a big movie like that, they might not have had any yes or no say. It's in just funny any of that it. when the powers that be yeah. are like, this is what's going to yeah. happen. You're not trying to so for the score, the robotic duo wanted to draw inspiration from the score from the original Tron film, which was composed by Wendy Carlos. Uh, she is a pioneer of electronic music. She helped Robert Moog develop the Moog synthesizer. Yeah. She's like a sound engineer from Brown University. Uh, um, she is like pioneer of this stuff that does not get mentioned enough. Uh, she's a trans icon. Yeah. Uh, and she came out as trans in the 70s. Like 10 years, 10 years into her career. Yeah. Like she'd already put out like um, she did like box switched on or whatever. She did like yeah. a, a classical album with Moog shit and then like announced it well yeah. in her career. That's she fucking rocks. Yeah. Dude, Wendy her. Carlos is a, yeah a, amazing. Um, uh, she, she was like instrumental in, in incorporating electronic sounds into movies specifically. She was a composer. Uh, um, so a lot of like, or like um, I think she did uh, a clockwork orange. Yeah. She only did three, film score. she only did three movies, clockwork orange, Tron. Tron and the shining. Yeah. And which all incorporate, you know, electronic and synthesized noises into it. So she, she was hugely influential in like, uh, blasting these noises out into the world. Go back uh, which and is watch awesome. The Shining. Yeah. Go back and watch The Shining. Like I love that movie. I've loved that movie for the, the cinematography. Score is a character. The score is incredible. It's a whole it, character it just, in the movie. It's so lived in. It is. I, God, I love that. That's movie. Well, that's a prime example of both the set and the score are such huge characters in that film, uh, yeah. and that's awesome to hear. Yeah, Wendy Carlos. I doff my cap to the. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Doth enough caps or whatever. Uh, People don't doth caps anymore. They don't. Uh, So, you know, obviously when Daft Punk does something, they want to do it big. Yes. Uh, The original version uh, in what the filmmakers kind of envisioned was a mostly electronic score. Yeah. Uh, That 
spiraled out of control quickly into Daft Punk wanting to blow it out as big as possible. Um, uh, and it took a long time. It took a really long time. Said Kaczynski, they are very meticulous. They don't do anything without thinking about it, which I totally understand. They wanted to make sure that this was something they could commit themselves to creatively and completely for a couple years. So I totally understand that. So during the process, the thing that kept uh, me going through it uh, was that I knew creatively we all wanted the same thing. We all wanted to create a classic film score that blended electronic and orchestral music in a way that hadn't been done before. Um, while experimenting with electronic elements in the Jim Henson studio, Tomas and Guimond started to uh, lay out plans for the orchest uh, orchestral sections to perfectly capture the sounds of the strings and horns that they wanted to embody. They needed to take a trip to a Victorian chapel. Of course they did. Uh, in London, built by Beatles uh, producer George Martin. It's called a Air Lindhurst is mm -hmm. what it's called. It's a uh, a beautiful sound studio in an old Victorian chapel, and they were like, "Hey guys, we got to go there." And I mean, Disney's <clears throat> like, "Why? <laughs> Why? We have we have a movie studio here in L.A." And they're like, "The sound we want. That's the room we need to record in." That's it. We you have to. It's, that's where we're going. It and is a psychotic thing, but you can hear, you can hear a cathedral sound yeah. that's so, not synthesized. So uh, I mean, you it, can. So it, it made life harder for the movie crew. Right. Kaczynski would Skype into the orchestra sections to check in uh, on the progress, but both Kaczynski and Bentley both mentioned the fullness of specifically the track "Recognizer" yeah. as proof of. Uh, the Daft Punk's attention to detail had paid off. So let's hear just a moment of that. Yeah, those horn blasts, I, I mean, think, are specifically what they were talking hear, about. I mean, you can almost hear the vaulted yeah. ceilings in that reverb. You know, yeah. like you just can't. And they, they were like, this is the song we have in mind. We need to record it in the, the old chapel. That's where we're going to get the sound. It's Said Bentley, you can feel how Daft Punk really had a command of the orchestral uh, and started to really indulge there. Specifically, that song is what he's talking about. It's, he goes, they were insistent on working at Air in her, uh, Lindhurst in England. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the most convenient thing for all parties because we were in post-production in uh, L.A., but just like everything for uh, for them, they had listened carefully to a lot of scores, and they were so set on this. What was it, the horns? And then Kaczynski responds to him, it was the brass. They were convinced that the brass needed to be there and i also think the acoustics of that particular room make a difference and i think they were right this is one of those tracks that really came alive it was a great track when it was a demo and all digital but then uh, that was uh the one that i heard uh, the recordings and uh, of the live sessions that took on a whole new life i'm glad we did it I, it's different the brass is different because i so i feel like when you are arranging for brass so many people do that like king's courtyard bright sounding yeah 
Yeah, and this, this is, is like, such like yeah, like low, slow changes. Yeah. It's yeah. a very dark brass sound. Yeah, it, it sounds really good in that church, man. I've said it a lot, and I I want to say it again. What's what's one of my favorite parts about digging into to deep into Daft Punk over and over is they learn stuff, they find stuff in in this exploratory student like way. And then they convert it to this level of intentionality that is mind blowing. I mean, they've learned about sound design and reverb design, and they've learned how to manipulate this in a in a digital or in a synthesized way. And they've taken what they've learned and maybe stumbled into over the years, and and now they're going to intentionally put everything they want on Disney's right. dime in the setting they want it in to make the sound that they want. The intentionality is what I hear over and over listening to this this totally uh, so Tomas and Guiman they were going to need help with the orchestra mm -hmm. they don't know how to run one uh, so the score was arranged and orchestrated by a, a man named Joseph Trapanese or Trapanese I don't know who knows uh, let's go Trapanese <laughs> Uh, when uh, when Trapanese came on board, Daft Punk already had melodies, sonic ideas, and sketches of songs mostly composed electronically, uh, and they had a clear vision of what they wanted. He said, everything that wound up in the orchestra had its gestation in original uh, electronic ideas. The metal melodies you hear in the French horn were melodies in synthesizers before that. The orchestra is really kind of a variation on themes based on the original ideas that Daft Punk started with. Very interesting. Yeah. I would love to hear <laughs> what they, yeah. The so, demos, oh my God. They're, you know? So, um, I got a lot of information in this, uh, from an article in, on a Disney blog called, uh, Oh My Disney. They sat down with Mitchell Lieb, the, head of music and soundtracks for Disney and he told them the whole story. He got a producer credit even though he yeah. didn't oh, yeah. get a composer credit yeah. or anything. Absolutely. He, he yeah. not, so he's, not exactly we, we've heard a lot from him. We've heard, heard, heard a lot from him already. Yeah. I think he's going to get that on every Disney soundtrack but yeah. uh, um, at the end of the story um, the guy shuts off his recorder and Mitch Lieb is like do you want to hear some stuff? And he comes over and he's got his iTunes and he's got a whole bunch, yeah. like a dozen more or more untitled Daft Punk tracks. And he just yeah. has that on his personal iTunes, all the demos. Uh, uh, I would love to hear the stuff that they had that before they added the this, orchestra. This, this soundtrack is very cool. Yeah. But I've heard a lot of orchestras in a movie. Yeah. You know, I've, I've seen thousands of movies with orchestras in it. I haven't heard quite, uh, the electronic blend into orchestra like this, like right. the it two is, of them it together. Is incredibly compelling. But what I would, I would also have loved a Tron legacy movie with a, a daft punk score. Yeah. That has not been yeah. like, I understand and, that the fun that, of them, the fun for them in doing this yeah. is it's their opportunity to do a big studio, a big cathedral, play it for an orchestra. Yeah. But I would also love to hear again. Like I would love if they had played live again at any time after 2007, because some of this would have been in yeah. there and yeah. they would have fucking partied to a bunch of these string sections. They were, Cause they, they like orchestral, <clears throat> they like yeah. movie soundtrack shit because oh, yeah. they love, like marauders like the chase and stuff that's mm -hmm. movie music i i yeah. think that the the thing one of the things for me about this score is i don't 
I will talk more directly about its its place in, in the film, but I, I active listening to this is a lot different than, you know, like sitting down and listening to this actively in preparation to this makes me realize how truly different it is than just a big orchestral score. Cause it really is rooted mm-hmm. in these electronic elements that give right. it this human. I mean, it's, it's the human robot thing again in a, in a different way, a way right. that we see explored much further later in Ram, I believe. Um, but we'll get to that. In the, in, yeah, in a, in a absolutely. We will. Um, so Trapanese helped them shape those songs into orchestral arrangements. He says, I was just along for the journey. Tomas and Guimán really had the artistic vision from beginning to end. They had the answers before I was able to figure out the question. The thing was, they had come to the table with this really distinct vision of the role of the orchestra and the role of the electronics. They were able to articulate it in a way that, uh, uh, in a way from their demos and from the way they spoke and the types of music they were listening to. We knew what the score was going to sound like, but the question was, how are we going to get there? That's why it took two years. They had this like really bold, distinct vision and this bold idea of how to combine the orchestra and the electronics uh, that we kind of all knew from the beginning. When uh, when you combine orchestra and electronics, there's a real chance that it's going to fall flat on the face. Uh, it's not it's not going to be a good orchestra or it's not going to be good electronics. It's going to be this weird, messy combination of loops and whatnot, uh, which we really didn't want to do. We wanted to do justice for the film, but what they came up with, those two pieces really fit together. There was one point late in the process where we were mixing everything together, the electronics and the orchestra, we had finished everything and we were mixing the cue. And as a test, um, someone said, Oh, let's, take out the electronics maybe just the orchestra here and i'm sitting there and i'm embarrassed and i want to cry like the orchestra sounds terrible so they did the reverse they said oh well what are the electronics you know take out the orchestra and the electronics sounded thin and not that good and then said wait okay let's put it all together again so put it back together and it was a unified as a unified whole it sounded great it sounded majestic sounded exactly what thomas gibbon wanted for this film and I think for Thomas and Guimond to hear the orchestra for the first time on Tron Legacy, it was like a kid going into a candy shop. That's what almost gave birth to the idea of random access memories, saying, we can do this. This whole world in that fraction of a second from when Gavin lifted the baton and said, go, you know, that moment. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's a very cool clip. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And and yeah, like uh uh there are there are moments in this when you kind of can't even tell if something is digital or not. There like they there's there's big orchestral scores and there's big digital moments, but there's these these moments where they blend together in a way that is really incredible in um um something that you don't really hear that often. Well, it's if, really cool. If you think about it, right? One of the things that stands out with with especially with with early um early Daft Punk is, you know, we talk about sidechaining, we talk about the use of compression, we talk about the ability that Daft Punk had to carve out really really crisp uh, features within a, a huge soundscape. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is what it serves them in this endeavor because there is a lot going on and now they have this ability to to 
to compose these electronic elements that are carved into their own place in the sonic landscape that fit well with you know again it's it's the it's 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 there they have a way of making their electronic sounds more alive that fit in with yeah. a live orchestra in a way that you know it's not just a beep and a bloop here and there it is it is it is carved where it exactly um, where it's supposed you know to what? be i i won't shake a stick at a bleep here or a bloop there no i won't personally I'll never say no to a bleep. I'll never say no to a bleep. Or I've a said bloop. no to a bloop before, but I'll never say no to a bleep. Uh, yeah, well, that's where you and I differ. Yeah, because I I can take or leave a bleep, but I'm I'm never passing right. up an opportunity to bloop it up. Classic bloopsman. <laughs> I'm a classic bloopsman. Bloop, that's why. That's why we were. Bloop man group is a good name. <laughs> the for bloop me. man group. <laughs> Just bloop and group rhyme. Because <laughs> bloop and group rhyme. Anybody out there still listening, I want somebody to make us uh, uh, an original track called the Bloop Man Group. Yeah, Whatever you want to do with that. Or, you know what? If you fucking uh, if you fucking draw the Bloop Man Group, maybe we'll put we'll it on a t-shirt. Yeah, we'll, we'll send you a t-shirt. We'll, we'll make a t-shirt. We'll make it a t-shirt. <laughs> we'll the, draw a picture of whatever you think. Yeah. If you draw us a picture of the Bloop Man Group, we'll draw you a picture of whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um... Yeah, cool. So uh, there seem to be rumors that persisted after the movie came out about Daft Punk's involvement and whether or not it was exaggerated by Disney for uh, the story. Yeah. In the interview, the Trapanese interview, I've quoted a bunch already. Uh, the guy asks him this question and he like stops him in the middle of the question. He's like, he's like, that yeah, just. Not, like I don't even want to go there because he goes on to say like he was like awestruck by Tomas and Guimond's creative control yeah. and, and their process because everything we know about these guys they're not going to be like they're not right. going to hand the I reins mean, I have over this, to, this this is a question I had earlier that might fit in here a little bit better um, if Disney of you know say alternate future right Daft Punk still exists right now they never did Tron um, I don't think that. Daft Punk signs on to do a Tron film in the current state of Disney. I don't know. I don't know about would. that. I what I do know is that this happened at the perfect moment for them. This is something that they these are noises in in um, recording techniques that they had been interested in for a long time, and all of a sudden there's a movie with a two hundred million dollar budget. Yeah. that that is going to let them learn how to record an orchestra, they are not going to give up the reins on that because it's something they wanted to do. They used this movie to learn how to do it, and everything they learned here they put into RAM. Like this is this is specifically mm. something that they wanted. I didn't realize that that Disney does own Marvel right now. In, yeah, they in bought 2000, it. Yeah. In two, oh, no, in 2009, I'm saying. Oh, yeah. they bought it in 2009? Oh, they already bought okay. it. I didn't realize that. I didn't know So they my it part was, so Disney is, this is the beginning of, of Disney's the big yeah. move. I yeah. mean, this is the the first big yeah. thing that comes out with this new MCU so I, mentality. I, uh, Devin recently got me into the Blank Check podcast. Yeah, and I can't remember uh, what. Griffin and David. Griffin and David. You guys are listening. Yeah, you guys are listening. You have to bring be. us on the pod. I'm a big fan yeah. of the show. We'll bring you on this pod. Yeah. Whatever. Who gives a shit? Crossover. Uh, uh, but <laughs> we give a shit. We spent so much time on this. We'll still have you. Yeah, but listen, we give a shit. Listen to what I'm. Listen to the stuff I'm reading that I spend hours and hours doing. Uh, um, 
Who gives staying a shit? Staying up way Fuck this show. Who gives a give, shit? I don't give a shit. <laughs> I, I, just, I just spent, you know, like 10 or 15 hours uh, this week putting spent, together an episode I on spent, the soundtrack. I spent half day. a day of my vacation editing the last episode we did. <laughs> yeah, we give a shit. shit. But um, um, Griffin, the the connoisseur of context, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember what episode he was talking. He was talking about this era of Disney and how they had so many franchises and like big hit movies for like l- like little girls yeah and at this point they were like really struggling to find movies that like boys wanted to see right. and that's why that's some why they, they bought f- marvel and star they, wars they, they, yeah. they bought marvel and star wars but they also funneled 200 million dollars into a video right. game movie so it seems right. like yeah, this that, that this was sense. this whole thing was for little boys to like have a disney property to for this to have come out uh in you know at this time means i started work on it you know these disney yeah. things take many years yeah which means at some point in the boardroom they said we don't have like kid boys yeah we don't have that audience which is absolute this marvel star wars that's one thing they did take it yeah absolutely um uh said trapanese around the time i was locked in a room with robots for almost two years <laughs> <laughs> I was locked in a room with robots for almost two years, and it was simply a lot of hard work. We were just together, working throughout the whole process, and there was never a point where the orchestra was not in my in their minds, or the electronics were not in my mind. Frankly, that sounds his like it would it'd suck to be him. Yeah, these, that, these two guys are intense control yeah. people, and they can they can hear every every mistake single, and everything. Yeah, like yeah. It would be tough to be him. <laughs> yeah. He had some great things to say about them. He was like, he said they were awesome guys. They were great to work with. Was was one of the creative highlights of his life to work with them. And what they put together was, to, was pretty cool. And I think they, like, again, they wanted to learn how to orchestrate music. Yeah. They worked with him really closely for a couple years. This guy, without without having any direct involvement in random access memories was a huge, huge part of helping them figure out how to make it happen. This is go on. I'm just, I'm I'm again looking at the Disney and Marvel thing through this lens again. Okay. So Iron Man two is a Disney movie when it comes out and has that in it. So it makes more sense as well. But up until, up until this point, only the first incredible Hulk and Iron Man one are out. Iron Man two is the big, Right. first Disney release. Yeah. And that's yeah. when it really turns. Takes and off. I'm wondering how much, you know, because because notably, Tron is a much darker brooding right. film than everything we see after this. And I'm wondering if this is, is, is one of the things that really informs the tone that they take for the rest right. of the I mean, big blockbusters million later. Dollars, right, so. but it, they don't really have a movie like this that, yeah. that has this tone. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. They don't make another like dark. I mean, that's what DC does. In the development of this movie, a bunch of times they say like, "What would you do with Tron?" In a, when they're talking to the director, in a world after the Matrix. Yeah. So that means when they're thinking yeah. about this movie, they're thinking about it being the Disney's Matrix. Right. Yes. And that, in some ways, is. This is much darker than anything they do. You're yeah, absolutely right. It really right. is. And um, well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, get we'll, we'll, we'll get to the, the tone, movie. For sure. Uh, the, the soundtrack was produced a little weirdly. Yeah. Uh, so typically composers have as little as like six weeks or maybe two months to put uh, music together to like a rough cut of the film and then fix and stuff like um, uh, a, a, like music composers for movies are put under a time crunch a lot of the time. 
when Kaczynski and crew began principal photography for Tron Legacy, uh, they had uh, uh, almost an hour's worth of material from Daft Punk already written and recorded. Yeah, wow. So they get they get to set first day of shoot. There is somewhere between 45 minutes and 55 minutes of recorded Daft Punk content for the movie. That's crazy to me. Yeah, it really is. So they used it. They used it in in the shoots. Uh, uh, Kaczynski said, "I remember that day, uh, which was just phenomenal to set up giant speakers on set, hit play, and have a nightclub with fresh Daft Punk music playing. Them DJing up in the booth, full of programs, and it was great to have while we were shooting." Um, uh, Kaczynski even used the music to his advantage to help help to help set the mood of the film instead of the typical other way around. He said. It was really co- a really cool thing to have while we were shooting and really amazing thing to have when we started to cut the movie together. You never have the opportunity to cut your movie to your final music. Usually the score uh, uh, usually you score the movie after the fact and you fall in love with your temp tracks, but I never tempt tempt this movie. This was all Daft Punk score from the beginning to the end. That's cool as hell. Yeah. Um, the, the cast and crew used the demos to help set the tone of the movie, cutting the first, uh, uh, so the, the first cut was like, you know, pieced together, uh, um, uh, before the finished product. This is an interesting quote I found from the director. Uh, Olivia Wilde one day came to me when we were shooting a scene and we were talking about the character Clue in the movie, who's a completely digital character who was really only completed in the last couple of months. And she was asking about him, like, I have to talk about him in this scene, but I've never seen this character because he doesn't exist yet. And I say, well, let me play you Clue's theme. I just got the demo from Daft Punk. Um uh, uh, for the for his theme song, and I played uh, played her the song, and she listened, and she was like, "I got it. Now I know why I'm afraid of this guy." Yeah. So it's like, we, we, this is 2010. Like the idea that actors are, uh, uh, acting in a blank void, uh, is not like that prevalent yet now that's now when you see a movie like that's what they're acting in the green screen yeah that's like one person yelling at a digital character we're they, sitting they, on a green screen right now yeah we are but they 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 get it but like the, she had, was having trouble conceptualizing it daft punk helped her figure it out um this is this is the clue clue theme this is what she was listening to Creepy. Very creepy. I I love that. I love that story. I love yeah, that's cool. I love the story because I said it um I said this we were talking again before hitting record today. And one of the things that really dawned on me as I said it, I was like, this 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 soundtrack really captures the tone of the movie. But you know, as we talk about it more, no, it's the movie that captures the tone yeah. of the soundtrack. Yeah. And especially the, the way that you say they're filming on set with right. the demos. They know. Uh, I, I cut a clip from the director who was like, "I had, I had a piece of music uh, that was like 
they made for the, this specific scene, but then we arranged things differently because this just completely fit the tone of yeah. a, a scene that we were doing instead. So they were they were working in tandem in a way that does yeah. not usually happen with the music of a yeah. movie. This movie feels it feels very it feels completely big. driven by it, music. But it feels like it creates this vast lands the grid it creates this the grid is so big and and it's it's you know there's the there's the wasteland outside the grid and and, you know the size of the world in this movie for me in this film is 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 really reliant on the sound design and you know that again you can trace it back to that you know the the victorian chapel that gives it this resonance that that i think is is so prominent throughout the entirety of this film yeah, so that's very cool. And it's bolstered by, I mean, the score is incredibly compelling. And then also the the Foley and the sound editing and the sound designer. It's really, I mean, it's loud in a way that I kind of can find very annoying about movies now. Because yeah. every time you go see a movie, it's this very loud, synthetic, yeah. blomp, blomp, you know, thing. But in this movie, the soundtrack mixed in with the noise, like the diegetic noises. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. There's something at, there's something um, tiresome now of like the Hans Zimmer like, Bwah. yeah. But they they use big noises like that so effectively. Right. I we'll we'll talk about. I mean, the you movie hear it in you but, hear yeah. it in yeah. the, even in the, the second track on the soundtrack, yeah. the grid. I mean, it's built yeah. around that monologue. Yeah. And it fits. It's not. It's not. We copied. You know, like like uh, I, I it's total different world, right? But I listened to uh, Rocky Horror, right? I yeah. listened to Rocky Horror recently, and it's very funny the parts where they have to overlap the film dialogue with the song. Like we came right. to the car and we wondered if we can borrow your phone. It sounds like shit. It does yeah. because it's yeah. just the sound clip pasted into the time, the, um, the, uh, mm-hmm. light, whatever the track is. Mm-hmm. But my point is, it, you know, it's so often they're not one thing, the score in the film. And I think if there's one thing that this film does get very right, it is that thing we talked about with the shining. This soundtrack is, is a character yeah. and it is not a side character it is a prominent centerpiece uh, well um, not everything worked out for the boys no. during this process uh, when the idea of having a single from the movie came into picture Tomas Aguiman swung for the fences inviting Jay-Z to collaborate uh, I've always been under the impression that the song that was produced from this, these recording sessions never saw the light of day because Tomas and Guimon were somehow unhappy with it. In researching this week's report, I learned that that was not the case. Disney. Uh, so da- Disney. Daft Punk uh, approached Lee with the final project or product, a song called Computerized, starring Jay-Z. Here's a little clip. That sounds great. It really does. I don't really like that. You know, I I, no. I think that there's, I think, there's so a noisy it so, build. It's so it seems so um, disparate having Jay Z shouting yeah. over this. It seems like that sounds not the, great. 
and also like the arrangement's kind of weird. I so I've listened to this track and I, it's it's I've again, never heard this before. It's, That's it's it another starts, it's it another starts super low. It starts super weird. Uh, uh, the whole thing four and a half minutes taken. Yes. Uh, taken as a whole, the build is very cool. Yes. By the by, the, like the first like two minutes, I'm like, ugh. Mm-hmm. The way it builds by the end, I love it. It's it is. It's one of those ones that like I don't I don't like hearing a clip of it, but mm-hmm. it's in the same vein of like a rolling and scratching where it's right. like it's a product and you need what's before and you need what's after to appreciate. Yeah. Many I'll of go it. listen to it. I've never heard it. You before. should just listen to the whole song front to back because it's yeah. It yeah. like yeah. the way I that didn't song even know builds, it existed, honestly. It, yeah. So um, Lieb loved it. But he was, quote unquote, was worried that the filmmakers behind the movie would feel the lyrics and tone were too rooted in real life and rap for their fantasy movie. Uh, (laughs) Those the guy that ran Disney's soundtrack was like, these are these lyrics are too rooted in real life and rap. But I I do understand what Disney means insofar as it feels like. When Will Smith does a song in Wild Wild West, yes. yeah. or you have like a song at the end of Men in Black, yeah, it feels like but that, very '90s to have a music so video with the song about computers we're, for we're Tron. Talking about two guys whose entire career has been based on their love of cinema as ch- children, of course they're gonna like these two guys are gonna love like a rap single from yeah. a movie. Like that's I, a part like, of. I get why they movies. did it. Yeah. I get why Disney was like, no, we don't want it to feel like a '90s thing yeah. where you have like. The song about the movie because yeah. that by by 2010 we stopped doing that. You don't have an end thing in a Marvel movie right. where they sing a song like yeah. Iron Man was here and he's hanging out. Like it yeah. feels very dated. I get, yeah, they, I get they, why they, they say no. They do. They 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 end up using the instrumental. So I got yeah. yeah. So yeah. so Daft Punk recorded an instrumental version of the song for the closing credits. And they settled on "Derezzed" as the single from the record. Yep. The uh, shelving the Jay Z song also meant shelving a planned Jay Z Daft Punk performance at the premiere of the movie. They were like they yeah. talked about they were going like they had already planned like uh, one side of the marquee was going to say Tron Legacy, the other one was going to say like live Daft Punk and Jay Z, and they were going to have a whole big thing, and they scrapped the whole idea. Yeah. That's uh, they did. Go, they did go to, to the see. premiere, uh, in the robots. You know, Disney folks were like joking at the premiere, like uh, Mitchell Lieb, like added the like, the Daft Punk robots to like the Disney cast of characters because they're like at a premiere of a Disney movie as the robots Notably walking around in in Tokyo. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which I did is, not. Uh, read that's an important. You know what? Jay Z the... was not involved in the movie otherwise. Yeah. And this is 2010 or whatever, and he just had Empire State of Mind. His contribution could have overshadowed some of the other stuff. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah probably. Well, like, like that know, would have been so much. That yeah, would be that, this, that's kind of a weird synergy if they're trying yeah. to build a franchise. And yeah. this is one of those things too, where like, okay, we got to we we go back again. All this Disney stuff is fascinating to yeah. me right now because this started in whatever 2006, 2007. They start pre-production. This is the last thing Disney does before shifting entirely yeah. towards the Marvel machine, towards the Star Wars machine, right? And so I, I get this idea, you know, uh, notably 
because uh, I, I was reading about this earlier too. But one of the things that 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 kind of verifies that rooted in this world instead of the fantasy world is you know Jay Z's a, a wordsmith, but one of the lyrics specifically is is quote an eye touch, but I can't feel like that is rooted in. Right. It's a cool line. It's a Jay Z line. It's very smart. Like iPod, I touch. I yeah. can't feel like that's a cool line. But again, that is a line for our world. That is right. not a line for Trump. Right. And I think that all of that that idea like you said i mean jay-z's coming mm. off of what this is coming off of the blueprint three yeah this is which the blueprint three we talk about swiss beats we talk about what an the, incredible album one of this is a year that i saw you talk about seeing people twice in one year i saw jay-z twice oh in 2009 God. because i at this point blueprint three is, yeah. is game changing this is this is jay-z saying i wear black for a year straight and all of the sudden hip-hop is dressed in absolutely. black absolutely this was this such is, an explosion yeah i mean this this sets that um you know like the 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 uh, greek statues and that imagery yeah. appearing in rap this is all uh coming from he would have overshadowed right. a lot of this yeah, especially because tron wasn't and it's the difference between a lyricless yeah. i don't know who ended up album yeah yeah and an album with lyrics yeah that's you know? true uh, I don't know who ended up leaking that. It's on YouTube if you want to listen to it. I the recommend dude, it. It's the dude with all the tracks on his iPhone. I'm yeah, sure. yeah. Mitch Lee, the Mitch guy Lee, that the, the guy that uh, said they couldn't use it for the movie. You yeah, think exactly. He, he, he leaked it. <laughs> leaked it. Uh, it's out there. Go listen to it. It's an yeah. It's an interesting song. Like I said, like you you start you start it and you're like nah, and then by the end it it that builds. Put it Daft builds Punk really one cool. that puts Daft Punk one degree away from Lincoln Park. Hell yeah. And why shouldn't they be? Uh, having signed on more than two years before the movie came out, Tomasa Giman once again started uh, uh, a fever pitch around their project, right? People knew that this was happening, and Daft Punk fans around the world were like, I got to hear this. Uh, this is a, a Kozinski, the director, recalled uh, that on, day, on set one day, I got an emergency message from the guys saying, Joseph, our hard drives crashed. We've lost all the demos we sent you. We need you to burn them all onto a DVD and send it uh, to this address in France. And I quickly realized, I called Tomas and he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Someone had worked up this ruse to get me to send the soundtrack to them. That's crazy. That's crazy, right? That's nuts. That's really crazy. Like somebody tried to like. They tried to do a social engineering phishing scam to get Daft Punk things. (laughs) And good for him for recognizing. (laughs) Yeah. Wait a minute. No. Why would they need me to send them on a DVD? Wait a minute. What are you? No. No. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Email it to him. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The album. This is interesting. The album was Daft Punk's first to reach the top 10 on the U.S. charts. Yeah. <laughs> not Discovery. Not Homework. Nope. The Tron album. But this has more to do with, uh, to say about the declining record industry sales than the band. Discovery sold hundreds of thousands of copies and it ended up peaking at number 23. Tron, in their first week, sold 71,000 copies and were in the top 10 that, that week. So... I think that's more back that I mean in the nineties, you know, you were competing against yeah. like every record that came out sold a million yeah, copies exactly. and it was like ninety eight degrees. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. like they sold seventy one thousand copies in their first week and were in the top ten yeah. in two thousand ten. Like the people just like, Oh yeah, yeah, we don't buy records anymore. <laughs> uh the album left many fans who were expecting a new typical Daft Punk album baffled, but that's more on them. They were doing a soundtrack. 
not a record. Uh, the score is actually praised by movie and music critics alike. Um, the movie got mixed reviews, like kind of like a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes, like not rotten, not fresh, just blah. The two things that were specifically praised about the movie were the technological advancements and the score. Roger Ebert said it was an electronic force, the yeah. score specifically. Said Lieb, I've been doing this a long time and the process is always the same. I think I've touched more than 500 films in my life, but what makes it interesting and challenging and different is the talent. Just working with Tomas and Guimon, it was a real high point in my life. I'd never built a studio for a composer prior to that or since. I've never had artists commit to the project and work on nothing else for 19 months. I've never dealt with artists who wear robot suits and don't speak in public. It was interesting, different, unique, through and through. I'm so satisfied with the journey as as well as the outcome. I'm lucky to have such a privilege. Michael Lieb, not in charge of all Disney music, right? He's, he's the he's president very... of soundtracks and music, something like that. But his his credits are not on every Disney movie. No. Right? So he's not doing so the the stuff he's doing around this time, it's a lot of different kinds of stuff. It's Prince of Persia. Yeah. It's he was a music executive for Scrubs for <laughs> Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Smallville. Uh, it's a very eclectic thing. Secretariat, Step Up, but not all of their cartoons and stuff. Right. He was the executive in charge of the Iron Man 2 soundtrack. Yeah, that makes total oh, sense. Oh, there you go. He loves so, that like, punk. Yeah. It loves that I mean, punk. I, again, the, the, the Disney... Oh, band, so that's that's the end. They're working on this yeah. around the same time that that comes out. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's how same it year. Same year. I mean, same year. 2010. It's very wild. Again, I, I'm I'm fascinated by the Disney stuff we're learning right now because I, I honestly, I, looking at what happened to Disney, I, I you could make the case that a lot of where Disney goes could be because of the tone that Daft Punk sets for Tron. And they realize that this is a good movie that this is, but it's not going to, you know what I mean? It's not going right. to do what we need it to do. And then that's where, you know, Iron Man one is a little different than Iron Man two. Yeah. You get rid of Terrence Howard, you put in Don Cheadle. I mean, there are choices that they make. I think, you know, like that, I think you could tie back into the tone created by Daft Punk. Someday Maybe. the Daft Punk fellas, we all age and get older and pass away. Someday they will pass away, and someday Daft Punk will be IP. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about that. Yeah, yeah, and that could happen. I mean, what yikes. does that mean? Someday there's going to be a Daft Electroma Punk. Electroma Two, Electric that, yeah. Boogaloo, <laughs> <laughs> produced by Disney. <laughs> this time, Vegas. this time, yeah, this time they're but dancing I mean, someday, their way through the someday, desert. Someday Disney's going to have a Daft. Some Somehow they're going to yeah thing. It's going to be the yeah. Daft Punk movie or whatever. It's going to be a a silent short film before a Pixar cartoon about two robots who find love in the desert or whatever. True to their secretive nature, Tomas and Guimon wouldn't speculate about their future around the time that this came out, but its influence on their future work is undeniable in retrospect. Uh, This is Pete Tong talking uh, about um, random access memories with uh, a thought on Tron. You know, while people were still alive, like Giorgio Moroder in particular and, and Nile Rogers, they wanted to, to collaborate with those people and see see what happened. And Thomas says that that's they would have made it earlier if they knew how to do it. <laughs> it was really only after coming to Hollywood and then working with Disney and getting the Tron soundtrack that they started to work with orchestras and you know more real musicians and they got very comfortable with that and very inspired by that. 
So yeah, uh, random access right there, memories. Yeah. Probably my favorite record of any band of uh, uh, of all time would not have been able to happen without them diving into this, learning so much stuff on Disney's dime. Yeah. Uh, uh, in interviews around this time, Tomas and Guimond, they just seem happier. They seem content with their experimentation and at peace with whatever reception their new work is going to happen to get. Uh, uh, like we mentioned it earlier. Um, it just it was nice to read the handful of interviews they gave around this time and just hear them being pleased, uh, um, being content and, and at peace. Uh, said Giman, one thing for sure is that we've been creating a lot of music recently. The energy that we got from the tour has been uh, has been put back into this movie and some other stuff too. And boy, oh boy, will we be talking about that stuff soon? Oh yeah, we will. Yeah. That's Tron. Yeah. Did you? So I got a couple questions for you. Did you? I didn't know there was a DRES video. That, yes. That's. Uh, it was a bonus feature on. Yeah. Presumably the. the yeah. DVD you so have. the video is crazy because they, <laughs> they. Uh, so the video is Tomas and Gimon in robot regalia in walking Flins. walking into Flynn's. Arcade. They put a quarter in the machine and they play Tron, and they light bite. Uh, they light bite lance each other. So it's like a, they invent a new game for their video specifically. Uh, their two characters get on light bikes and then a digital rail comes between them and they start they start riding their bikes together and their bikes morph into these like digital horses and they get digital lances and they like they get they like light bike lance each other and then Olivia Wilde's watching in the distance. I get digitally railed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll get digitally railed all the time. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's very cool. It's a and, fun video. Yeah, I mean, it's also worth mentioning that they, you know, in the in the in the movie, there is the the direct cameo as yeah, well. Yeah. So yeah, I thought now now that I got through the script, we can chat about the thing. They are in the movie. Yeah. Briefly. Yep. Uh, around the time they're in Star Wars Cantina, they're in the Cantina of the Tron universe. Right. Which is the my, Michael Sheen's psycho character. Michael Sheen. Yeah. The so, Tron Merovingian's character. The Tron of Indian. The yeah, Tron David of Bowie Fucking, Merovingian. Yeah. Uh, Michael Sheen in this movie. So, okay. So Tron legacy. It is. Do you want rough plot? I can give you a super rough plot if you want. Just, nah, <laughs> we can talk about rough plot if we want, but okay. Tron, like the plot of this is, uh, um, Jeff Bridges kid, is kind of like a shithead. He, He's he, an he heir opens, to a fortune. Yeah, he opens on him stealing uh, IP from his company. Flynn's company, his own company. He's the major He's the shareholder. Majority shareholder, yeah. He, and he, like, puts it online for free. Uh, and hit, like, uh, Jeff yeah, that's Bridges. That's like Death Grips leaking their own album with yeah, the dick cover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeff Bridges, like, old business partner finds the kid and it's like uh um if you really care about this company which you do because you're stealing this shit go to your dad's old arcade and he finds the game and he's in and then uh gets to the grid yeah the majority of the movie takes place in the grid there is so much weird stuff in here and people like actors making weird choices in bizarre costuming there's like elements of the fifth element in here there's elements of all these like shitty like b movies that we the three of us have loved to watch but you can feel disney pushing back so like there it's almost a cult classic it's 
almost it's so close. It's almost awesome. It's almost a cult classic. But every time you feel the movie pushing into the really weird shit, yeah. you can feel Disney being well, like, "Let's not. Like, let's tone this the down." The closest it gets, I think, is Michael, Michael Sheen. Sheen Absolutely. In that. And Michael Sheen. And I love that. That Michael whole Sheen segment credits what a perfect he's, his inspiration. He, he credits it for himself David Bowie, uh, Joel Gray from Cabaret, and a little bit of Frankenfurter from the Rocky Horror is what he credits yeah. Yeah. as his that. own. That totally makes which, sense. That all tracks. And that and like that that's absolute but then there's also these moments where like Jeff Bridges is talking about uh like the grid yeah. at the very beginning of the, at the beginning of the movie like he's talking about like the potential of the grid and he's like hey man like diseases because of what we've unlocked in the grid diseases are going to be a thing of the past. Yeah. Biology, philosophy, everything we know about the universe is up for grabs. It's digital jazz, bio-digital man. Bio-digital jazz. It's bio-digital jazz. I did not watch this. I did not, I did not re-watch this movie for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I remember that from yeah. seeing it 10 I, years ago. I, it's I, I bio-digital like, jazz. I, like, just moments like that where I'm like, this is our kind of shit, but then... I'm like, that's the dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it's like... It's sh- that shit. It was like if the whole movie was that, this would yeah. be a ten out of ten. You, but then I, you can you, feel you can Disney see, rounding well, out the edges. You can see where this is Disney saying make the Matrix. Yeah, and then they did, and, and then they're they like, like, all right, let's shave off the Matrix yeah, parts because this is for ten year olds. They were like, let's make a let's make a Matrix for Disney, and they did, and then you could feel Disney be like, can we sand off some of these for rough what's edges? What's compelling about the first Tron? Yeah, is that it. It's a time when Disney is making weird shit. Yeah. Right? Because Disney back then did not have like the yeah. Disney-fied image. They were still making very weird garbage. And at a time where no one owned a personal computer, they yeah. made a movie about like, what if the master program got it and <laughs> yeah. you could unlock it by yeah. like digitally riding your I mean, bike through the, programs the and shit. The premise of Tron is very cool. It's the master program who's designed for perfection yeah. is flawed in its perfection. I mean, yeah. that's a compelling thing. And I dig that, Tron, my, that idea. The first Tron's a little slow now, yeah. but it is like when and you watch it from the lens of no one at this time really owns a computer in their house and this is a movie they're going to see. It's the craziest shit yeah, you've yeah. ever seen and in your life. And this one is slow in parts, but there, yeah, there's like a handful of parts. I'm like, if the whole movie was like this, yeah. I, I would love, love this movie. I, like, I, it doesn't allow itself to be as psychedelic as it should. Yeah, be, I, it's and, very close and it to it. It butts up against it so many times. Yeah. Where like the the vo- and then the characters, like the clues, main henchman has like uh, a helmet that's only the back of his head and he's bald and his shield is just uh, like six inches and it comes from the back of his head and comes all the way down to his chin. Originally, and you're like, that's crazy. And I, he yeah. talks like, he's like crazy and talks like a snake. And it's like, yeah, originally this when is I really saw weird. This, I enjoyed a lot of it, but I was like, man, the Jeff Bridges de-aging thing seems really synthetic and dumb. Now when I think about it, I'm like, it looks uncanny. They knew it looked uncanny. Yeah, man, it's part of how weird. I this will is. say. I will say. I I like. I saw this in theaters, and in my back of my head, I just remember like that. That was crazy that they had the technology to do that. Watching it now was 
brute. It was like it it's sucked. like Polar Express level. Do you think they knew that it sucked, or no. do you think they thought it was psychedelic? No, they, I mean, whole, you gotta okay, so remember, they, they do, like the first what's... whole opening scene is Jeff Bridges talking to his kid as a kid. Yes, and oh yeah, the whole yeah. the whole st- the whole scene they're blocking his face with like window sills, right? And like doing a whole right. thing because so the whole thing was like this big reveal of the face. And they were like, look at how beautiful and majestic this oh, yeah, is. And it's just this digital dead-eyed face. It would have been cooler if they were like, hey, this is no, weird. But they, in the no. psychedelic the, in nightmare the movie, world, this the bad guy. The movie, them, presents it's, it's, it, the movie presents it as this technological The opening scene is, for me, it's, it's you know, to, to jump to 2021 now. It's reminiscent almost of them putting... Tignataro's face on what's his name in that movie where the the way that they utilize it is every time that they show her character it's a weird shot and the yeah. background's blurred right. and I, you can see that it was done I mean obviously that was done for a totally different reason and 12 you years later you know what this movie's flaw is and I, this happens a lot with movies that make big advances or whatever the first Tron was such a groundbreaking technological feat yeah. to do these special effects Rather than make a movie that's interesting sequel wise, they, they were like, like we, we need to do brown. And brown, honestly, we need to invent the other for side, being for being dude, I, 2010. Yeah. The all the digital stuff, all the all the fake digital stuff looks all awesome. the stuff. I, cool. I really all the, all the digital stuff that's supposed to be the real world and supposed to look real. All that shit sucks. I like this this movie a lot. I I do. I I I didn't like it when it came out. I like it recently because i like thinking about things in the way they're they're doing it my problem with this movie is i think a disney issue which is they don't let you come to your own conclusions there are moments where they have these cool ideas and then they need a jeff bridges monologue to heavy-handedly explain everything and yeah. it's like you know and to, and i, and I, I get disney it pulling back on the weird right well and, and i get that that's because i think they don't really know who this is for is this for the people who like tron in 1984 or are you trying to bring new people on because you need to decide because i don't think you can get both the main, in the way that they wanted the main dude the main actor Dud also. Yeah. That guy I don't I don't know they what else he's him done. A lot. He, he was he was he's he a plays dud. uh Neil in On the Road. Yeah. Garrett like, head head What yeah. the first tron the first tron spoke to me and I thought was very cool because it's in my cross section of interests. The hero of the movie in nineteen eighty four is a cool as shit rock star. Yeah. arcade game designer yeah. who owns an arcade of games he designed and they let they that's let, very cool they let jeff bridges do it every once in a while where he drops in like a like uh um, a cool di- it's, it's digital jazz man where he gets it's to be him jazz, stoner man. jeff ass bridges yeah, yeah he says and what i like about stuff. what i do like about tron legacy premise wise is that in this dusty ass old room Jeff Bridges has been living inside an arcade game yeah. for thirty years, doing all this. Yeah. Psh, 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 crazy. he's like this, like yogi, yeah, he's off. He's literally psychedelic, off. creepy monk living in this yeah, weird he, wasteland. He's off the grid, inside the grid. It's yeah. a really cool, compelling what thing. He's cra- in the rocks so where programs heady. go to die. But I inside think, an arcade cabinet yeah. in his old house in or whatever. A secret That's wall nuts. in a secret game that conceivably nobody has That's touched. So weird. Um, but like, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that you know, it's it's. It's so wild. To, like, what what does the Matrix get right? You know, the Matrix again. They they this this they they want this to be Disney's The Matrix. And for me, what the Matrix does get right is it 
it is a, a lot of it is suggested and a lot of it is you trust your audience yeah. can handle figuring it out. But they also the do Matrix things like asks questions like what if? Yeah. But it does not answer these giant philosophical things. Even even leaving Ma the Matrix 3, leaving the conclusion of the series, it's not super clear what has happened because there's a lot that is evaluated. Conclusion no more. Yeah. Matrix I mean, 4 on its way. I'm ready. I'm ready. Tron I'm Legacy ready. asks a lot of questions like yeah. what if and then answers it with like the hero's journey. Yeah. And it's like, what if a guy then took his girlfriend on a motorcycle yeah. and rode up in a sunset? It's you also have the things like the filmmakers set up the idea that one of the programs can get out, yeah, and they and then the whole then they don't. Like yeah, I feel I like mean, you can feel the filmmakers right. being like. Let's let him out. Yeah, and Disney's that, like, I mean, don't that, let him out. Is, don't let that him. Is like, the, the kids, kids are too scared. The, that's the gun on the table. It sucks to me that that never happens because yeah. that's the premise of. That would have been awesome. I agree. And if that's, Clue got out, uh, yeah, that is the this movie. That, that it's it sucks to me when you introduce the the coolest catastrophe in the world and yeah. then you don't go there. <laughs> I right. mean, There's that, an that's EP. the point of a movie is to go there. The coolest catastrophe in the world. But I mean, that's why, I mean, that's yeah. that's the, the other side of that is the fatal, Absolutely. the fatal Star Wars flaw of when you start with the Death Star, there's nowhere really to go but a right. bigger Death Star. So like, I get it if they're setting up this reality where a program can escape if they have plans that, that have since been scrapped yeah. for bigger movies. Because Tron 3 clues escape. I mean, that's what it has Honestly. to be. I mean, really. Or there's some sympathetic, some program has developed a conscience and it can get out or whatever and want. Olivia Wilde is a program and she right. does get out at right. the end what yes. is so it's it's I possible guess, what I've been thinking a lot about the Matrix sequels because we watched the third one together recently yeah. and those movies are not as good as the first one no and it's hard to figure out what parts are not good what I think is most interesting about it and I think some reason that that turns people off is it follows zero of the traditional story beats in a hero's yeah. journey. Right. Where it's like, if this movie, you know, the matrix is nuts because like Trinity dies and it's very crazy and compelling I mean, how yeah. he's already saved her life once by pumping her heart up. She's like, you can't do that again, but we served this purpose and together. Now and now you yeah. need to go die in the and machine. It's surely and wild. You don't, you don't realize how much of the movie, the, the conclusion of the matrix yeah. is not good for our hero. He goes, yeah. he gets his eyes burned out when his girlfriend gets yeah. dead. And then yeah, he lets the machines take him back after he, yeah, it's like, it's he's, in he's, a Jesus pose. It's right. dark. And people don't like that because that's not a fun romp. That yeah. is a dark, I, I mean, meandering, I think like what the, what the matrix gets right. And what Disney, I think, you know, they play it safe. And, and in, in my opinion, get wrong with Tron is they, they don't, everything's a happy ending in so, a very dark toned movie in a way. Yeah. And, the, and I, you know, I don't, in the matrix at I, every turn, they're like, yeah. is this guy the hero? And yes. the people who believe it most go, I don't know. I don't know. And we never really yeah. know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and that's the This thing. has happened seven times before. Yeah. There have been a zillion. There's a bunch of Neos. Yeah. You never know the whole time if this guy's really the guy who's going to save everything. Or, you know, know, and I mean, there is an argument to be made that like the Inception argument that you can get really deep in is what yeah. level of the, the what Which level of reality are we, are we yeah. in? I mean, I remember being like an eighth grade kid yeah. and going to the midnight screening of Matrix 2 with my friend and my mom and the, he zaps the sentinels at the end. And I'm like, Oh my God, there's two mate. He's in the yeah. second. There's another yeah. matrix under it. The, okay. So this movie ton of like, there's like ton of fun stuff. It, mm -hmm. it is, it's like a right. It's like 
degrees away from being like a midnight movie classic, yeah. I think. It's so close. So close. One of the coolest things in this movie is the fucking music. So Amen. I uh, I I love Daft Punk. I do not revisit the Tron, Tron sound Tron, like the the soundtrack. I don't listen to this a bunch. Some of it's very cool. It's very beautiful. Uh, it, it's very cool to listen to how the electronics and the orchestra pair together. But watching this movie for the first time in eleven years, the the music kicks in, especially in the action scenes. Oh yeah, and it sets the tone. Yeah, and it's loud, and they they let it be forefront. They let it like they let it be the star when it needs to be the star, and it fucking it works in the movie. When you watch the movie, the music works, and it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I mean it's it's it like like we've said a couple of times. The it's it is a character and it is yeah. um you know I I will make the case over and over with this that the, the you know what this movie got right is the sound. What this movie got right is the digital stuff we've talked yeah. about the the homemade digital stuff, not the de-aging. What this movie got wrong is it needs to choose if it's Iron Man or the Matrix. You know, it needs sure. to choose, and it's trying to be this the, the in in both worlds. But I, just, I think the music as the, a character like, is wonderful. It like uh, they let it swell every every action scene. They build to the action scene, and then there's a cut, and then there's this swell of music, and they pop into the action, and the music drives like the light bike scene is great they they add the uh, like the levels into it and the music drives that scene yeah and like uh yeah uh and I'm, i i i have a i enjoy this stuff when i do hear it like i said i don't i don't return to this a ton it's you know i don't listen to soundtrack music in my life some people do yeah I, I'm not a soundtrack guy, so I don't listen to this. It depends. I mean, I've, I, I listen to a little bit, yeah. but it's not a Alex not Quayle a asked me to put together a playlist of instrumental music for our D&D sessions. Yeah. Um, and traditionally, this for it. those kinds of things, people always do like Lord of the Rings and stuff. And now that we're talking about it, I should throw a couple of these tracks on there because this is Some of it for, would be yeah, well, really hear, good. Hear me out. Some of it, but like rewatching the movie and hearing and seeing how it's incorporated into the visuals and how much of a driving force in the story the music is this is an incredible pairing this is an incredible soundtrack for the movie it it yeah. is and like it, as much as we said like there, this movie has fl flaws and stuff this movie would be significantly worse without this, this movie music. would not be good without this music it's, it would Again, be significantly the tone worse. of this movie yeah. that people respect uh, it is the music yeah um can you can you pull up uh the game has changed oh yeah I, I got absolutely a couple, couple of yeah, so i found let's that uh, i want to i want to check out there's there's so two we're not, things so specifically. folks uh we're you know on these album episodes we usually go track by track this is tough this is not we're not going to go track no. by track on here it's not really an album it's not really it's really an album it's a score so there's a couple things I do want to point out though, and the first one is tied to well, let's go let's go to the game has changed first because I found a couple of cool things that I want to talk about. Um, so track eight is yep. the game has changed.
So this is cool because one, I love, I love the, the, again, we talk about the tone. This track captures it, I think. Oh yeah. But fun fact about this one that I found today, this was the, this song was used in the original Game of Thrones Yes. Preview, yeah, which is a cool thing. Whoa, and know. also, they, and the, uh, they use this in the Russian yeah. Russian Olympics <laughs> opening games in 2014. This, just in, this, just in this the, is a tone. Song. Yeah. I mean, this is an epic. You know, it, it paints a tone that's undeniable. I mean, this this truly the game has changed is one of the best Vladimir titles Putin, for this. <laughs> Vladimir Putin heard this and was yeah. like, "This needs to open the Sochi game." Exactly. I mean, that's <laughs> wild. And then um, also, there's there's another a sound I want to point out in, to Devin specifically. In can you play track seven, Rinsler? Yeah. 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 That sound. Yeah. And again, we talk about so yeah. the fun fact is that that we talk about different sounds. Not a lot, only if so you don't not know. only does that is that the like the um trash the yeah, trash the techno car sound. door sound. <laughs> you know, we talk about it all the time. We we talk like that's a really hard sound to recreate digitally for techno. But so we've got that going on. It's also such uh an incredible um, movie soundtrack yeah, sound. We talked about like the the um, lamer side of it, yeah. right? With like the rap song on it, yeah. where it's like Will Smith rapping to his own. So- but the other thing, like, so there's so much, cor- there's so many corny things about '90s uh, cinema. But that, like, that's in every intense 90s action movie yeah that's like, like an that's in, the, independence day that's sound. the that's the sound of the independence yeah, day soundtrack and it wanna, fucking rips i want to point out that, that like I, amps you up i i we we talk about you know in in music production when we're working on music specific sounds in different ways to get similar sounds yeah. so the, the the techno car door sound is yeah. is what we call that They're like and it's very cool to hear what I believe to be a giant tom in that church or something yeah. like that. Like that, an orchestral version yeah. of that noise. It's it's very cool to hear what I what again what I believe to be influenced by that techno car door yeah. sound and Daft Punk finding a way to make it live. I yeah. think that that's um, that's one of those. Like like uh, go to another example of this. We're not going to pull this up, but if you're at home listening, one of my favorite renditions of that sound is, is Claude Von Strokes live in yeah. live that's in That's what Detroit. I go to when I think right. of that. And, and that that, that is the same life. Yeah. Like that's the same living sound in a different way. It's like the way. first that's five minutes. Very very cool. Yeah. yeah, it's very early. That's on. what I listen to when I've been trying yeah. to. To make that noise, it's one of my favorite sounds. And if you have, if you listen to that Claude part, and you have any advice on working on that, on sound, different ways to make that I've sound, been, I've been, I've got a few permutations of it. And if you have any ideas, pass send them it to way. us. If you're a so producer. this, yeah, this is I. This, so far, these have been mostly like digitally led, electronically led clips from here. I would like to highlight. Let's go to Adagio. Uh, is a song they put together, and I think that this is them really figuring out the orchestral stuff. I, I love that you brought this one up because yeah. this was another one I was going to bring up because yeah. I think the, the mentality behind this is what leads them to motherboard later yeah. on. Uh, yeah. it's, it's the same thing for me, a different tone, but it's it's got... Yeah. And uh, um, they in the handful of interviews they gave around this time, 
and, and it was stuff that they had talked about around the release of Discovery that a handful of tracks on that episode, uh, on that, um, not episode, on that album are like Baroque, right? Uh, and like, like instrumentally, yeah. not not instrumentally, but composed like classic yeah. music tracks. This is something they've always been interested in. And now they're getting to experiment with those sounds with the actual instrumentation of that music. Yeah. And you can hear their excitement for it. And, and really, one, um, they, they said a couple times, one of their hopes with this was that it would open the gates to some of their fans to classical music yeah. and show them compositions and uh and and give them an entry point into that stuff and you can clearly hear it with things like this where it's like we can make this beautiful music with these things uh, you know and this yeah. is this is like some of that like this adagio is like some of these like down tempo or yeah. slower tracks on some of their classical we talked about it when we went deep into my groove theory or whatever but like classical music has more in common in its arrangement with 90s and 80s house than it does with any pop music right. because it's long pieces circling around a you know a short idea and reintroducing stuff yeah. Yeah. you're just like let's just start with just a you know it's like you just bring instruments out yeah. additive and subtractive tension and release unlike pop music where it's like here's you know, three kind of minutes section and then the hook and that's and then the pounding and then the we fuck out. and then we get yeah. out with with like daft punk era house it's 9 minutes of like let's slow build into this musical idea yeah. by taking things in and out absolutely yeah uh, no i think it's like i i love to list like to listen to this and contextualize it within daft punk do I do I return to this all the time? No. Is it beautiful? Absolutely. Yeah. Is it genius? Yeah. Like, would I have loved to hear some of this mixed into their live stuff? Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, it, like I I will say I have a wholly new appreciation for this stuff after the research I put into this. Most of these episodes I come in, I'm like, I I know generally what they were thinking and feeling i know how they recorded the like you know i'm just like compiling stuff that i had i had at some point learned earlier i learned a lot of stuff about what they went what they put into this and it gave me a really new appreciation not only yeah. for this album and how they learned to do it but also what this album meant for my favorite of their albums yeah. well how yeah. how they springboarded off of this into uh um incorporating the the um orchestral stuff with the electronic stuff in a in a poppy way in a song structured way instead of an or instead of a soundtrack way doing with random access memories. doing it alone getting to a point where you're comfortable and then being able to do it with your heroes is i mean that's 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 the route they took and i i, I yeah. mean we all benefit from it because I, you guys all know how i feel about ram and you're gonna know in depth in the next couple of weeks but um it's very cool to hear can i can we pull up one more for me absolutely can we, we can do as many can we, as, yeah can we just pull up the grid track two yeah and i i what i want to specifically talk about on the grid really quick is I think that the grid does a really good job of showing you how the music is a character, not so you a, want to hear him talking, his, him talking, okay, good. Uh, the little bit before it and then him talking. The grid, a digital frontier, 
I tried to picture clusters of information as they moved through the computer. What did they look like? Ships, motorcycles. Were the circuits like freeways? I kept dreaming of a world I thought I'd never see. And then, one day, I got in. So that 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 baby, that's the that's the overture. That's the overture. That's what that's the driving sound. Yeah. Beto- like so, you know, like classic film scores, like Jurassic Park or what have you. You know the you know the the snippet of music that is like the driving force behind that's the, the whole tr- thing. The motif. That that's the, motif. the motif. That's the motif. And so, that and uh um and it, yeah, they hit it. This is the opening of the movie but too. What's very cool to me is is the way that that opening is composed. As he's saying, I try to picture information. It's these digital clicks and these noises. And then he says, "Is it like freeways? Is it like?" And you hear when he starts to say the human elements. You hear the string section yeah. rising in the back. And then he says, "I got in." And then you hear the motif, which is the very living sound. It's not mechanically. Yeah. And it's. I think that you know. There's got. Giorgio by Moroder energy. Oh, it absolutely. does. It absolutely does. This whole thing does. But I think that just you know that that intro right there. I mean, the intro to the movie, the the, the grid track two on on the soundtrack, it really demonstrates in a little 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 microchasm how this music is used throughout the whole film in in a really cool way. And I, I think that that it's cool to evaluate it in that yeah. little small section right there. Yeah. But that's uh, yeah. That's those are all the tracks I'm calling up for this before one. Before we before we close it out, I do want to take note that Derezzed, the single, the one they're playing, that's one of the only moments that the music is diegetic in the movie. Yeah, where it's like happening in the movie. So that was very cool. Yeah, the, yeah, and and then he, that's when that's the the specific moment where so they're playing a, another song from the soundtrack. Yeah. I can't recall what it is. Uh, when when they're DJing in the booth in the party, it's diegetic. Uh, I think they're it's, play- it's end of the line. They're playing which is yeah. end of line, which is end the of name line. of the oh, name man. of the Michael Sheen character's right. club. Right. Yes. So they're playing that like more of a downbeat song in the club, and then he screams at them to like hit up yeah. the party, and they switch it to D Red. So it's those two together. Very cool. And then I I, I don't know. It, it's not really diegetic because it's like a. Uh, but that whole that grid that whole part is just that's the opening yeah. of the movie, which is very cool. Yes, this um, could have been really psychedelic. Honestly, yeah, it really could have been. And there are parts where it is. Yes, there are parts where it really is, uh, and you can feel Disney pulling back I, the reins. I think I I really do think that that is. I've mentioned it a bunch of times. I think it's evidence of Disney during the production of this between 2006, 2007 to its release. Disney has changed. They have changed into the Marvel machine. Absolutely. And I think that that is what we see. This movie set out to be something. And I think it did get pulled back due to a, a, due to a change in, 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 you know, thought process in the organization, because it makes more sense to me looking at it through this window of this is what is happening while Disney's buying Marvel. Uh, They, they've announced a third one now in it's in development with Garth Davis to direct and Jared Leto to star. So they're taking it in a different direction, baby. But I mean, it's going to be whatever's going on. It's going to be a cookie cutter Marvel film. You know, it's going to be, and it's going to have, it's going to have, 
you know, all of those. Jared Leto wants a successful franchise. Absolutely. He really does. He can't wait to have one. Before we uh, close things out, I also want to talk about when I went to see this because it was one of one of the funnest days I ever had. Hell yeah. Uh, I, was, yeah I was hanging out with my buddy Jesse Spielman, who is a phenomenal photographer, a great person. And we were talking. I feel like it was early in the day. And we were talking about it. And he's like, yeah, the new Tron movie is coming out. And I was like, I know Daft Punk's doing the music, but I don't know if I want to go see it. I've I've never seen the first one. He's like, we should watch it. So we watched the first one, and then he lent me his Tron t-shirt, and mm-hmm. then we drove to go see it at midnight. <laughs> like, we decided in the Hell afternoon, yeah. like, let's watch the first one and then go see it at midnight. And it was a blast to watch him That's back to back team. and then walk into a theater with a Tron t-shirt on as if I had not just seen the first one <laughs> one hour moments ago. ago. Moments ago. <laughs> we saw it at midnight, and I had a blast. That rocks. Great time. I, I stayed up. So um, this was this came out... The f- like the year after I graduated college, uh, I was obsessed with Daft Punk, um, and they produced this soundtrack, and it was going to have a big release on Spotify at midnight. Um, and I was like, I'll stay up. Was whatever. Like, okay, it's, it's an hour and a half. Like, stay up and whatever. It'll be one thirty or whatever. Then midnight came around, and it didn't. It wasn't uploaded on Spotify. I'm like, what the fuck? When is it coming? How's it going to? And they were like, Spotify is a California company. So (laughs) you got to stay up till three. And I made the decision. I was like, I'm going to stay up till three in the morning to listen to Daft Punk's new music. And I did. And it came up on three at 3 a.m. on Spotify. And I sat there until 430 in the morning when I had to be at work at nine (laughs) listening to it. And I was like, that's Soundtrack music, baby. <laughs> yeah, like, it's hard it's for like, me to relate to that because I've never stayed up late listening to dance music. Right, but right, that right. is that does sound interesting. Yeah. For when I try and picture yeah. what it's like to stay up till four thirty listening to Daft Punk, it's yeah. hard for me. But. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, uh, I've never. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been up past midnight. Other than that. no, <laughs> never. Some, never New Year's Eve, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, maybe then. Um, um, but uh, we also have to mention. Um, in conjunction with the DVD release of Tron Legacy, Disney released Tron Reconfigured, a uh, a remix album that Daft Punk did not have anything to do with putting yeah. together. We read we read that quote from uh, Pedro Winter uh, about their disappointment in that particular yeah. album. Um, there is a handful of good things. We will not be doing a Tron Reconfigured episode because. It's not Daft Punk. It's not Daft Punk. They it was not sanctioned by Daft Punk. There's a lot of stuff that would would pre- presumably not make them very happy on there. Yeah. Um, so uh, in um, full disclosure, and first, this and a lot shows of it, about yeah. positivity and being fun. It would be fun to listen to some of that and dunk on some very dated sounding and yeah. very. Uh, music that we might not it's not in the spirit love, of what we do but that is yeah. not what the show's about no. and it, it, it yeah that's not we, what they, we're interested in doing there's um, some there's some interesting stuff on there glitch mobs on there crystal methods on there m m83 and black big black delta uh remixed a song together paul oakenfold's on there moby's on there but there's also like cascade boy like there's just uh uh yeah a smattering of uh, Avicii and it's an of the era. Thing. Yeah, it's a it's a so uh, the Japanese couple, pop stars are on there Disney, of the era. It's Dis- and I have no 
qualms with any of these artists because that is Disney money. And yeah, they all take Disney money. Take your take Disney money. Yeah. So a couple things. Yeah. I, one more thing I, I want to mention before we we even leave this is I think it is important to mention that this was nominated for best soundtrack uh, yeah. at the Grammys, which is important. And it won. Uh, it won it best won original score awards. at yeah. Austin Film Critics Association. Um, Nominated for score of the year and breakout composer of the year and one best original score uh, by the International Film Music Critics Association. So it was yeah. a it was a critical was it, assess. It was, yeah, uh, like success I said, as far as awards go. Like it I didn't, said, it did not win the Grammy. For the, but it was um, it was nominated. Yeah, the the criticism of the film, like everybody when they were like, this doesn't really work. The score fucking rips. Like yeah. everybody, like and and really. If uh, if you are a Daft Punk fan and you're like I don't like that that doesn't get me going watch the movie yeah, because really. when you watch when you see how this music uh, just brings life into the scenes where where they let the music swell and come up you can absolutely see their vision and what they had in mind like they are they are. Uh, it is the force of energy of the yeah. movie is the music, and, and it, it really gives you a whole new appreciation of the the record. Coming from a guy who's fresh off of a, uh, a big trip across the the country down to Louisiana and back up to Michigan, um, this is also one that it's not one you're really going to turn on if you want to dance or you party. But if you're sitting on a porch watching a sunset or something like that, uh, I can tell you from experience, it is a very cool experience. I I uh, I. I listen to dance music when i run i did this instead today because uh because we're yeah. doing it it was it was great, great running music it's great yeah it's, it's it good hiking music as well if you're somebody who likes to hike uh, i did that a little bit with this soundtrack on uh, it's very cool wow we wow. did it tron's did it. done oh my god so we we're it. gonna do a uh, ram for like a month we're whatever. gonna ram for a month <laughs> well what we, we officially as of right now have have three Ram episodes. We're going to do our history. Um, if anything, Ram. if anything goes long, we may split it into A and B, but just so you guys know what's upcoming, uh, we're going to do a, an episode on the history of the album. Um, I'm going to do a report for that one. Uh, we're probably going to do an episode on the series of collaborator videos that they put out in conjunction with the record. There's some really awesome stuff uh, uh, with the tons of people that they worked on for that record. Uh, in there so i'll pull clips and we'll talk about um everybody's contributions to it and then we're gonna just break it down album album. yeah uh so wait let me so so from my dad who is now catching up on this podcast which is awesome uh, if anybody out there i'm putting in a special request straight from from my dad uh, if anybody out there has any information on the creation behind the lose yourself to dance video the one where it features all of the the, the dancers uh, from from time uh, all of the dancers from all of time uh if you have any information on how that was cut together or any behind the scenes stuff that you can share with us uh that's one uh that's coming straight a question straight from my dad so uh send that to that info at alive 2021.com cool uh every week we end with highlighting a, a song that we are obsessed with right now in the world of dance music could be something brand new, could be something old, could be something that we just reconnected with. We just want to celebrate this stuff and, uh, uh, and bring you, um, nostalgically something that you love, uh, or something that you've never heard before. Uh, Devin, you want to go first? I'll go first. Claude Von Stroke and Justin J have a new EP out called O and the track is really different than a lot of the tech house dirty bird stuff. And Claude, did a statement about it saying like 
the world doesn't revolve around Tech House and Dirty Bird doesn't. And we want to do a new white label series of weirder music. I listened to a bunch of demos that all sounded the same. And I think it's cool. And if you have weird demos, you should send it to Dirty Bird because he's making very weird music right now. Good headphone love, music. It climbs around your ears. It really does. I love it swirls. That it's they got, like specifically intentionally that the design for the white labels is just stark white with the old his the first Dirty Bird logo that he yeah. drew, like yeah. that old ugly bird that he drew at the very beginning. Just like this is just like throwback shot. We were experimenting with stuff when we made this label. the The label Dirty Bird has like slowly grown from this list, like offshoot to a fucking powerhouse yeah. that is controlling the way the, the way that this music sounds right now like it's become it's become this it's like conglomerate yeah and this is him saying like i want to go back to the beginning when i, I was just yeah. like fucking around so, with sounds and making stuff and and like this this rocks this yeah. like i'm really excited not like only weird breakbeat yeah. stuff yeah I'm, so the, like the, i'm excited for the sounds i'm excited that dirty birds going here i love Dirty Bird, I love the brand, but yeah, it sounds samey. They I'm, throw great parties. I don't listen to a ton of Dirty Bird music just in my headphones. Yeah, I just I'm don't. A, I love their. I've listened to this I, more I love than the almost the, this yeah. EP front to back more than a lot of that kind of tech house stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm excited for so so we're 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 recording this. It's the end of June, uh, 2021, right now. For anybody listening, we're going to see Claude just announced a show in Detroit on July 3rd. Uh, we as a group are, are going to yeah. this show. I am excited. You better believe it, buddy. I'm excited to see if this informs what we see yeah. on on July 3rd. Yeah. Um, I bet I bet he'll do a break in the middle of that I show. I bet he it's will like 10 too. minutes of this kind of stuff. He I, said, I bet he will he's too. He's like, you know, I recognize that I'm still a house guy and I, I'm a house DJ. That's what I do, but it doesn't preclude me from putting this stuff in. Yeah. yeah. I'm, so and he's, I, think he's, about, I think about him talking about how Dirty Bird got started because he had an an album of drum and bass yeah. that he like the hard drive failed and he lost it and he's like I lost that album that I was working on and I started working on something else his tech house his yeah. relationship to tech house is is a result of you know that it's yeah. like he's a guy who's interested in a bunch of different genres and I'm excited he's he under kind of he understands the Claude Von Stroke brand yeah yeah and that's why a couple of years ago he put out two records under his own name that is more hip hop inspired. He yeah. that shit was something he wanted to do, but he understood he couldn't put it out under the Claude Von Stroke name. I'm really excited that he's confident. This and, is part of his yeah, brand. I'm really excited that he's confident in himself enough and just like who gives a shit that I'm like Claude Von Stroke. If I want to drive this stuff into a new realm. I put it out under that name and we see and, what happens. And to it's say cool. in an interview, yeah. to say I have I got I listened to eight hundred yeah. demos of Tech House and I want to hear new stuff, that's a calling card saying, yeah. Hey, our label is interested in yeah, doing different Absolutely stuff. it yeah. is. Very I, cool. I mean, there's a so like last time we saw Claude, it's gonna be very cool because the last I still haven't gone to a yeah. live show yet. The last the last show we saw before uh lockdown in, in uh 
February, late February 2020 yeah. was Claude, uh, and the first the first show I'll be back at yeah. is going to be Claude here. Uh, the now. first inside show. First I'll inside yeah, show. We saw Juan Adkins last week, two weeks Ooh, ago, which was yeah. very fun, but that was an outside patio thing. This yeah. is going to be a first party. I, I'm excited, but also, like, last time we saw him, we got a four-hour set. If we, yeah. get a, if we get a set even two or three hours or even – I, I, right. I would, my, I would my love bet, to see he if has he an, throws uh, some of My bet right in. now is he has a uh, – he has a 10 to 12 opener. He goes two hours. That's my bet. Right That's now. my yeah. bet, too. Yeah. That's I bet it's Will Clark. Ooh. Will Clark, ha- Will Clark has an apartment in Detroit. Yeah. We, will, we will let you know. Am I up? You want me to go next? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, you guys, I, I've mentioned it. I spent uh, I spent the last couple couple weeks almost uh, driving across the – well, not across, uh, north and south, uh, driving down to Louisiana and back uh, with uh, the significant other and some, some additional family. One of the folks I was with uh, is um, Nick Chevalet of uh, Hand Grenades. Shout out Hand Grenades. Awesome Detroit band. Yeah. Not electronic. <laughs> Shit. Shout out Hand Grenades. They're an awesome band. If if uh, Go check them out. They're not electronic music. They're very cool. But uh, Nick and I spent a lot of time talking about music, uh, the different music that we like. And Nick brought up uh, a track from notably from the movie Train Spotting, mm-hmm. uh, which fits uh, really well uh, with our, our movie theme today. Uh, and it is an all-timer for me. It's a song I forgot about, and I'm so glad he put it back in my brain. Uh, but it's Underworld. It's Born Slippy, and this song goes... I, I love this track. I just—it's—it's it's very funny because like this is one Forgot, of those. Like, ones. I was trying to get there. There's the part where the strings come back in. Too. It's fine, but that's the thing about this song is it—it yeah. it is it is anxiety inducing. Yeah. This is one of the ones that we were in the car and Caitlin was like, "I love you, but you need to turn this off." <laughs> like, My, I, yeah. like it's one where the Thanks intro. The name of your album. Well, I love you, but you need to turn this. The off. intro. The intro is so beautiful, and there's strings, and then yeah. there's that weird. The strings flange. come back at the yeah, end. and the strings yeah. come back, but a lot of it is just that pump yeah. that. My wife has it's definitely gotten better. It's techno drums at it. too, and yeah, it's it like is. it's techno drums with vocals over. It. That it's, happened at the our, the fire on Saturday a couple times. Right? Yeah, and I was like, you was have like, to, this one's got to go. Yeah, this one's got to go. <laughs> hey man, this, hey, my wife. Hey man, this I very go. seldom in my life have to turn to someone and be like, please turn that please off. Please turn this. It happens to off. us all the time. It happens, <laughs> it happens to us. It, it happens so to much. me so much where somebody in my life is like, can you please turn, turn this song off? We were we were listing off. We were listing off albums. Please turn this off. Before we hit record, we were listing off all of the albums I've revisited for the last like the 36 hours of driving I've done over the last 11 days or whatever and most of revisiting albums was because Caitlin was like I can't do it anymore I need something that isn't these sounds because I'm over here trying to listen to just like yeah, Carl Cox, yeah. pure impact <laughs> three and like it just doesn't work I uh um I was taking a road trip with some friends at one point and uh there were three other people in the car they had all fallen asleep and I was listening to Animal Collective too loud, and I had the song Brothersport on, which has like a four-minute build of yeah. just them like doing like just noiseless chants. Yeah, geologist. And shit. my I gave my friend a nightmare. 
<laughs> he had like he had a nightmare with the like it was incorporated in the song, oh, and he great. woke up and he was like, "Can you, you have to, you have to Stop, change the I music." This. Uh, this is um, my song this week. It is Fiorius, and it's a song called "I'm Not Defeated." Yeah, how do you do that? I don't know. I don't know. Very cool. Um, yeah, uh, Furious. Uh, I'm not defeated. It's kind of like a um, um, a Pride anthem. Yeah, uh, I love this song. Great uh, song. There, it's another good break at the end. It's really friggin' good. It make makes you feel good. It does like it's absolutely. Great. I love feeling good. I love feeling good. Um, yeah, I think that. That does it for the week, right? Yeah, and we are like we said. Next week we're cracking into. We really, uh, we really, we really went in on this episode. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that was crazy. You know, it's uh, a fun one. It's a good. We've it's, done yeah. it. We've done it a fun. couple times where we said like this could be a shorter one, but like each, like each one of these things, it's so cool to crack into what they're thinking, what they're doing, yeah. and they're like. Uh, people talk about them like they're these mysterious guys who never open up about their art. It's out there. You just have to dig. And I'm finding so much cool stuff about them putting these things together that, um, yeah, I, I just like thank you for listening. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on this journey because we started this uh, as a project to help cope with the loss of my uh, our favorite band. Uh, and now we get to share our love with uh, of Daft Punk with people from all over the world, and also uh, I get around to, the world, around the world, uh, around the world, around the world, and I know all over time. the world. I'm like, what are you doing? What uh, show are you on? Um, and uh, um, yeah, um, and and learn new things and gain an even deeper appreciation for any for this band and for their music. I I've um, I've Love them for a long time. They've been my favorite band for a long time. Digging this deep into anything would could cause you to have fatigue yeah. or or burn out on something or learn a bunch of shit that you're like, oh, actually, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I, whatever. That, like I just every week we, we dig into a new a- aspect of their career, and every week I'm just yeah. like. Actually, this makes me love them even more. And part more. of that is because so. how amazing the community is. Yeah, a big, absolutely. A big component to what is cool about Daft Punk is how inviting and welcoming everyone is, and it's been so nice. Yeah, we've to get gotten to talk so to many some cool, of you folks. Yeah, it's like very, you just hear like horror stories about you know people getting trolled on the internet or whatever and getting bombed and stuff. It's just like we we put this out. And we're getting people from all over the world, all around the world, who there listen. 
who listen and help and then share their joy with us. All over the world is my new. Single. I think I all think, over the world. I think all for, over that's that sample for me. I love for this. this all over this, the world. Love, yeah, this episode today, right? Like. I, I was I was outside. My my dad was outside today, uh, and I was I was sitting outside talking to him about Daft Punk and about art in general. And I think it's you know we've touched on this idea, but this episode for me really really answers a question that maybe I didn't even know I had. Right? I love Ram. I love Ram. I've listened to Ram so many times, and Ram for me is a snapshot of the culmination of all of this stuff. So for me, what I realized today is it doesn't matter whether you like the steps leading up to the thing that you like or, 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 you know, it's, it's about understanding the intentionality, understanding being a student in in all stages of your life. And, and I think for me, what I'm realizing today is the reason I really love Daft Punk is it doesn't matter where they are. You see them become a student of where yeah. they are, yeah. recognizing that whether they are at the top, the bottom, or the middle is not something they're looking yeah. at. They want to – they see a thing that they're intrigued by that they like. They want to learn about it, and then they want to do it their way. And that is a really yeah. fucking cool way and, to yeah. live your life. And I this, agree. Yeah, and, th- and th- like this specifically is probably the th- – output of their career that I have spent the le- the least amount of time right. with. It's a soundtrack to a movie that I didn't super like when I saw it in theaters. So I, whatever. Yeah. What I learned this week researching this episode, and I think it's encapsulated perfectly with that Pitong thing, uh, that, that clip we heard from him is just like, they wanted, they wanted to do this for a long time. Yeah. They had these thoughts in their brains for a really long time. And they took money from one of the most powerful companies in the world. They took a bunch of money from them, and they taught themselves how to do it so that they could put together one of my favorite albums of all time. I don't want to fucking bury this this far into this, but I'll just say it. Viva La Ram. (laughs) (laughs) Viva La Ram! I'll uncork that again. All right. We'll we'll uncork that again. Uh, Viva La Ram. We'll see you um, next week. We got to outro ourselves. Oh, yeah. I'm Andy. I'm Andy. You can find me on Twitter at uh, drgoodtweets, drgoodtweets, or on Instagram at Andy Reid, Andy Reid, R-E-I-D. That's how you spell Reid. I am Darren Shelton. You can find me on all of the social medias as uh, The Most Darren. Uh, Also, uh, I produce uh, music and DJ under the name The Moniker, Aplomb Bomb. Uh, And also, I stream video game uh, content on Facebook Gaming at uh, DSG Gaming. So check me out over there. I'm Devin Jetski on Spotify, and I have new music coming out soon so please follow me and just stream it a bunch please i love you or else absolutely you know uh, one last note i have about your report (laughs) yeah kaczynski that you kept bringing up yeah every time you said said kaczynski I thought of the Unabomber, Jim, Ted Kaczynski. Oh, good. <laughs> so just one fact. Andy's alma mater. That's why, yeah, that's, I, that's why I, I, kept, I, uh, I kept laughing when you were like, so blank, 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 quote, said Kaczynski. And yeah. I just laughed because I could not hear Ted yeah. Kaczynski. That's uh, uh, U of M's own. A, a fellow alumnus. <laughs> the Unabomber. Yeah, the You're Unabomber. one of them, dude. You're yeah. one of them. He's one of us. Uh, so I figured this is the guy who lives in the woods. <laughs> this is the place in the <laughs> episode. Guy who got weird in the this woods. This is the place in the episode to add that fun fact. Um, uh, I just... I just uh, just uh, for those out there, that uh, that um, Daft Punk, the uh, Lullabies tribute to Daft Punk record that's on YouTube, mm-hmm. are our friends Patty and Jr.'s baby Arwen fan. Yeah, awesome. I saw you sent that to them saying play Daft Punk for your baby. Jr. just said 
Arwen's a fan. That's awesome. awesome. So we've converted fans of anything. <laughs> we've ever. converted. We've converted. A baby. The, technically, right now, Arwen is the youngest fan in the world of Daft Punk. Probably. So uh, <laughs> next week we dive into we dive into Ram next week for a while for, for a while. So we yeah. look forward to doing it, and we look forward to you. Hearing us do it, yeah. and uh, I look forward to you. I look forward to you hearing me talk about. We'll see. That's three of the five sentences. Next week, Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> we'll see you next week. So Bye, everybody. Is the main one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alive 2021 is a member of the Planet Ant Podcast Network and was created by Andy Reid, developed by Andy Reid, Devin Roseney, and Darren Shelton, with technical production by Darren Shelton. For more information, please visit Alive2021.com.